Okay. <laughs> We're going to do that again. Anyway, what is up, everybody? It is the uh, Six Pixels Under podcast. I am Nerd Slayer, your host. This is episode 31. I'd like to thank everybody for stopping by today. I'd like to thank those who got to witness me having to do this twice. So also thank you to those people. <laughs> um, for those who aren't watching live right now, what are you doing? Just kidding. Um, thank you for watching after the fact or at work or wherever you're at. Um, on this week's podcast, we have a lot to talk about. And um, first, we'll end up talking about probably a little bit of the success of Smash Brothers Ultimate. It's now officially the best-selling game in the Smash Brothers franchise. We'll talk about um, Mortal Kombat 11 and how it's recent um, news about how much it costs to buy every skin in the game. Uh, we'll talk a bit about that. We'll talk about uh, Ross's video on um, Accursed Farms about the uh, games as a service. Everyone's been putting this video everywhere. It's good to see even Jim Sterling is posting the video and trying to uh, let people know about it. So it's um, it's becoming more and more commonplace to have this discussion about games as a service, but more specifically, this discussion that I'm interested in is the discussion concerning the preservation of art and multiplayer games. Um, that's probably what I'm most interested in, in in regards to that particular discussion. Later on the podcast, we'll have our MMOs on the go segment, of course, which is where we talk about everything going on in the world of MMOs, or at least everything that's interesting to me. Um, we have Perea uh, Chronicles, which is supposed to be some new big uh, Korean game coming to the Western world. We'll talk a bit about that. City of Heroes, of course, has a rogue server up. Actually, it has two rogue servers up. And both of them are pretty damn popular. I think in total, massively reported 20,000 or so people created an account on these private servers in City of Heroes. We're going to have to talk about that. <laughs> people won't stop bothering me about that story. And then we will also talk about, um, there's been some recent news that James Olin, of course, of uh, Bioware fame, is now heading the uh, MMO studio for Wizards of the Coast. So that has um, a little bit of excitement um, couched in it as well. So we'll, we'll, talk, uh, sorry, we'll tackle all of these different things. And then, of course, at the end of the podcast, you can ask me any of your questions. You can at me in Twitch chat, or you can just uh, call in if we have enough time near the end for a voice question on Discord. Remember, our Discord is uh, discord.gg slash nerdslayer. And um, yeah, let's get right into it, right? How is everyone doing this week? It is the 29th of April. We're nearing the end of this month, um, which is always exciting to see. Survived another day, am I right? <laughs> Limpos will love Perea Chronicles. <laughs> Isn't that an anime game? Hey, thank you for the Twitch subscription, Burrito Bandits. I appreciate that. Welcome to the Nor Club. You get yourself a tip. Also, I saw Cards. Uh, he did his before the video started um, or the podcast started. So thank you, Card, as well. Get yourself a la tip as well. Okay. So our first topic, let's go ahead and get into it. I just wanted to briefly talk about the success of Smash Brothers Ultimate which is something that I uh, kind of said was going to happen. Remember that? No, I'm kidding. Um, but no, I mean, it, it was a game that I was following it pretty heavily, and I was pretty confident that it was going to do well, just based on the amount of money they were going to put into it primarily. But also because it's a Smash Brothers title, and um, it had, I guess I would say, markings of being um, 
better received than Smash 4 because they kind of learn from some of their mistakes that maybe if they make the game a little bit too casual, then they'll kind of alienate their core audience, which is still playing uh, Melee like 15 years later. <laughs> so that was um, a dangerous gamble for... Um, I guess Smash 4 was more of a dangerous gamble for Nintendo. Ultimate has a bit more of a middle ground. It's got some technical aspects, but it also uh, doesn't necessarily focus so much on such. Thirteen point eighty one million copies. That's just insane, <laughs> man. So I guess it's easy to say that Smash Brothers Ultimate has absolutely been a smash hit. Um, I mean, look at this. Th these are some numbers, apparently, from them as of twenty years ago. These are obviously these are in yen for those wondering. <laughs> um, as you can see, at two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, this is when um, I believe another Smash game comes out. Right? Isn't it around this area that another Smash game came out? And then um, two thousand eighteen, obviously, this is the success. Probably, actually, this is many different successes combined. This is the success of Smash Brothers. This is the success of um, a couple ports, I would say. Um, also, of course, um, Mario Odyssey, um, a couple other exclusives. I wouldn't say Nintendo has all of its exclusives out yet, but it's basically been doing better than it has been in some time. So I just I figure that was worth mentioning. I know Nintendo is not exactly something that, or a developer that we end up talking a lot about just simply because uh, we talk about RPGs, multiplayer games, and MMOs primarily. Um, that being said, obviously, Nintendo is a huge company. I love the Zelda games. And um, I've sort of been wanting to see when Nintendo themselves was going to make a venture into the um, multiplayer space, or more specifically, the MMO space. That's kind of why I like to cover Nintendo a lot, to be honest. I'm just sort of wondering when, you know? Like, I know it's been a minute, and people always talk about Splatoon, and Splatoon, by the way, although it was devved and published by Nintendo, I believe they had outside help on that game. So anytime Nintendo has ever had a, a good multiplayer in their game, it's basically because they haven't done it themselves. <laughs> They're not particularly known for doing good multiplayer games. And um, I don't know, it's just like an interesting observation I just had, where it's like, I wonder if we ever will see an MMO from Nintendo. Probably not very likely, right? Alright, so something else I wanted to cover a bit, and this is just big in the news right now, so it's something I feel like we almost have to cover um, to some extent. And that's uh, recently, I think it's actually, Mortal Kombat 11 has been launched, but it had like a free-to-play launch, if I remember correctly. Somebody was mentioning um, that in chat. And they reference this particular art article, which apparently has been removed. Ah, so this guy was right, sorry. He was right in his assertion, but um, he was wrong in the sense that they had came up with a solution after that. How is he wrong then? Why would they lock the post and say it was misleading? I don't know. I, I feel like that's kind of strange because maybe it's misleading now because they said that they're going to change it. But how was it misleading 
only a few hours or days after the post was made. I don't know. That, that seems kind of weird to put it that way. That it's misleading now because they said that they'd change it. But <laughs> okay, yes. Wow. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. All right. I, I, I legitimately did not notice that, Rafnar. So well done. Um, let, let, me, let me first say thank you for subbing, Johnny. I appreciate it. <laughs> Welcome to the Nor Club. Apparently, Rafnar gifted everyone else too. So let me say thank you to Rafnar for gifting. Um, it says he's gifted a total of 20 subs to the channel. So thank you for that. Now we're all the way up to 30. So let me change that number. We're always doing it live. That's, that's, that's the key with, uh, with streaming, right? Okay, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that, one, that one caught me off guard. Yeah, we're at 33 subs right now. So thank you um, for the 10 sub gift and the 20 sub in total gift from Rafnar. Do I just need to do 20 tips? All right, let's one, two, three, five, seven, eight. Can't do them the same way because then, you know, people are losing the value on each of their tips. Some some of them are, are subbed, but they get resubbed, I believe, is how it works. Like they get the next month. Uh anyway, yeah, thank you. Oh, and also thank you for resubbing for nine months, Rafnar. Re welcome to the Nor Club. Eventually I should start uh branding it like Dr. Disrespect does, right? And say, hey, it's Fedora's included. <laughs> or what, didn't he say like the black, the slick black, um, black on black or whatever? He's like, it's included with your, with your locker uh, that you get whenever you join the uh, Champions Club. <laughs> I need to be better at uh, shilling, apparently. is usually what it comes down to. Yeah, it was 20 when we started. 20 as in 20 from him um, specifically. Just notice this is kind of not in shot. There we go. I think our sub icons should be fedora hats. Has that been done before? Can can somebody do some market research on that? Because I, I would like to figure that out. Anyway, we were talking about microtransactions and specifically microtransactions with um, the recent uh, free-to-play launch of Mortal Kombat 11. And um, they've changed this up to now, so we're reporting a little bit behind um, everybody else. But let's just talk about it as a topic, right? Um, what do you consider to be fair enough when it comes to purchasing a skin in a game? And when do you draw the line? I found this interesting because it's, it's not as if they're saying you get any power from these skins. It has nothing to do with winning. I don't do Twitch subs, so here's a substitute uh, sub. Well, thank you for that $10 donation. I think that was a $10 donation. My, my, <laughs> my robot needs to update me better. That, that was HK47 saying that something was uh, tingling in his behavior core. I just realized that whenever we had Chris on the show last week... Oh yeah, by the way, if uh, you guys missed, we had Chris Avalon on the show last week. The de facto video game developer who's done many, many... Or worked on many, many, many great projects. And um, I just thought about it. We never activated any of our Twitch sounds. <laughs> it would have been funny for him to hear that the majority of the Twitch sounds are KOTOR 2 sounds. So. I have um, I have HK47 saying something in my behavior core is tingling or something like that. Uh, that's for whenever I get a donation. 
the follow is just saying apathy is death, right? The, the Kraya line. And then whenever you sub, it's Atten saying, um, dang it, I always forget what Atten says. He says, um, I, I just pretend to know how to fight with my hands. Um, and, uh, damn it, what's that line? I always forget what that line is. Anyway. That one's killing me, but I, I'm sure I'll, I'll hear it in a second. No fedora hats as a Twitch icon? Oh, it's not allowed? Or are you saying you're not a fan of it? Anyway, so let, let's just have a discussion about uh, microtransactions because there's not a whole lot to talk about when they you know, recently changed um, this whole Mortal Kombat situation because of all of the negative uh, backlash because of it. But let's say that, I don't know, for the sake of... Actually, you know, this is a perfect example a perfect time to use our counterpoint series, which we hardly get to use, right? Now, counterpoint is whenever I basically make an argument for the other side. So my argument in this case, and you guys are very, very much willing, or should be willing to debunk this argument, I guess I should say, for, for fun, but also for the, uh, <clears throat> for the show. But um, with uh, Mortal Kombat 11, if they had 66, $440 worth of skins to buy in the game without grinding. Would you think that that's ultimately considered negative? Like, is this past the amount of money that you would think worthy of being spent? Is this fair? I just want to hear everyone's overall thoughts on it because I find it interesting that people really kind of latched onto this story in particular because I don't believe they're offering anything that maybe necessarily you can't get through grinding. They're just putting it behind a long progression wall, except that everything that they're putting behind a long progression wall is just skins, right? I mean, I haven't seen any other information. So I, I guess I understand it if, if they did all of this following such a free-to-play launch. I mean, let's just go look them up right now. Let's see how they're doing on Steam. Yeah, so this is after they want $60. I could have swore that Mortal Kombat was the one that recently went free-to-play. <laughs> All right, well, that, that shows um, how much I know about this particular game. Let's learn about it, though. So it recently was released just about a week ago, and it's charging a $60 game price as well as it has you know, at least at the time before they amended it, it had $6,000 worth of microtransactions. Now, to, to save this segment here, because we've got counterpoint going on, I'm going to offer the opinion that is $60 games where we draw the lines with cosmetics, especially long form progression, you know, like in this case, Having $6,400 worth of skins means it basically has to be super long-term progression. So a $60 game, are you guys okay with any paid cosmetics in a $60 game? I want to know where most of you stand in regards to your limits, right? If you paid $60 for a game, would you buy a skin period with real money? Or would you subject yourself to the grind required in order to purchase a skin with the actual currency? I'm curious because... I would probably say that I would neither purchase the game nor be willing to grind an absurd amount to get a skin just simply because they, they want me to pay a $60 box price. 
that's sort of my thoughts on it. I don't like to pay full price for a game if I'm still buying skins. And I, when I say buying skins, I'm not saying just because you charge full price, everything should be free. But I feel like a skin in this case, it's kind of like, and if you if you want to sell skins as your primary breadwinner or money maker, just make a free to play game. Like it just seems strange to me that you would want people to pay a box price, but then also be willing to spend or spend a lot of time really grinding. It just I don't really know if that that was like the smartest idea for them. But at the same time, it's one of those things where you don't know if they genuinely think it's a good idea or the developers, or in this case, rather the publishers, Warner Brothers, figured, eh, we can make some pretty damn good money off of this. Because it's a shame. I mean, I think otherwise the game has been relatively positively received. I mean, the first review kind of proves my point here. The first review from a guy with 11 hours on record says, The pros, the graphics are amazing, the story is pretty decent, the character dialogue is pretty well done, the gore is pretty awesome, right? So he mentioned some pretty big parts of the game that are pretty cool. And then he talks about the gameplay experience and how he doesn't want to spend a thousand euro on a graphics card for this and that the game performs very poorly and that it has microtransactions and it has a lot of paywall and grind and most people are making the exact same criticism here, right? <clears throat> this guy even says it's hard for him to put a thumbs down on the game because it is a good game. And this just shows you how little publishers give a shit about their game, right? They don't really care about their game. They don't. They care about the money that it makes. And this is where I feel sort of bad for developers in this case because if you're a developer and you have the ability to work on Mortal Kombat, First off, if that's sort of what you work on in the first place, fighting games, you're not going to turn down that opportunity. So let's just play out the, the premise here. I'm um, NetherRealm Studios. I get the licensing or the uh, license in order to do a Mortal Kombat game. So I'm all excited. I put my hard work, sweat, and tears into it. And then, boom, my game gets launched. Or is in the process of getting launched. Warner Brothers takes a look at my game and says, $60 box price, I don't know if that's enough. We need to make some more money because we need more content to come out. Okay, so how are we going to make money? Cosmetics. All right, so just have a couple of cosmetics that you can spend a couple extra dollars on. That seems like it's not going to be really ill-received, right? If it's just like tacked on, right? Well, they didn't just tack it on. They made it like a central way to make money in the game, which just tells me, like the publisher came in, said, hey, we think we want something closer to this. The developer said, okay, because they don't really have a choice in the matter, right? I mean, what are they going to say? Oh, I mean, the game doesn't get launched if they say no, right? So I feel for developers in this case because they don't really have a big say in the matter, despite people saying they have a say in the matter. I see a lot of people mention things like, oh, well, just don't work with them or you know, just don't do this or just don't do that. It's like, I think people are starting to finally realize that as of 2019, many of these publisher developer relationships are essentially because the developer determines, hey, I have no other resources to make this game. I have no other way of making this game. So if I get a publisher, I'm going to take that opportunity as best as I can. And sort of like in this current day and age with the big publishers, almost like accept the bad that comes with it. And what I mean by that is, let's say we made our own game right now, um, Mortal Kombat, 
with a W in there. And for some reason, we didn't get sued <laughs> for trademark violation or copyright violation. We decided to make our own game, right? We just made it, we decided to make our own game. Um, we would need funding, right? And who are we going to go to? Well, people don't like early access because that has a lot of negative stigma. People don't like crowdfunding, so we can't rely on Kickstarter. All right, so what are our, what are our options? Well, we can't sell a half-finished game because people don't want that, even if it's funding our game. So why don't we, I don't know, find a publisher who's willing to, you know, publish such a big, popular, and by nature, expensive game? Well, the only publishers that are going to be willing to do that are going to be the ones that are willing to monetize it. So 2019 and on is looking more and more to me like the battle of publishers. And that's really what this all means to me, this whole Mortal Kombat story. It's just more publisher drama. And it's starting to feel more and more disconnected from us as the fans because, yes, there's mixed reviews. 54% of the people who reviewed Mortal Kombat 11, um, you know, weren't necessarily thrilled with the game and how it was handled. This, to me, is a perfect example of if you strip away this business model, which clearly has rubbed people the wrong way, this game is positively received. So we are literally getting to the point of time where nowadays, the business model is big enough and problematic enough to ruin a game. I mean, think about that. Like, I remember as a young kid, I would think, hmm, I don't see how allowing you to buy one skin would ruin a game. That used to be my kind of perspective. Someone's like, oh, you can buy a skin. Oh, it's bullshit. I'm like, buying one skin. I mean, come on. Like, that's not going to ruin a game. Well, it's like a slippery slope, right? One skin, another skin, a couple more skins, a, a legion of skins. $6,400 worth of skins. It's um, it's getting to the point now where it, it just, it, it really does seem like, and I wonder if you guys think the same way, that publishers are kind of willing to like, sp what's that saying? Is it spite their face or cut off their hands to spite their face? It seems like that. Like they're, they're literally willing to just cut their hands off. They know they're going to get yelled at. They know they're going to get um, in trouble, especially with the recent hoopla over microtransactions. And yet they're still willing to do it which just tells you something, guys, in business. If somebody's willing to do something when they already know how much this is like going to be perceived negatively, it means one thing and one thing only. And I want all of you guys to understand this particular point. It means that they think it's worth it, guys. That's why they're doing it. It's not because they're like, oh my God, we didn't know you guys wouldn't like it. Oh man. Come on, Warner Brothers isn't thinking that. Nobody in Warner Brothers, in, in, in the, in, you know, that's wearing a suit, I should say, is sitting there thinking like, man, I wish we did this right. We would have made everything happy and, and great, and people wouldn't have got soured on uh, MK11 because of this. In reality, it's just like they know that people don't really like it, and it's a matter of how much can we get away with until people are like, full stop, full stop, right? That's what I think this is. Because look at how fast Warner Brothers was willing to walk things back. Doesn't this sound familiar? Maybe Rockstar has done this before. Maybe EA has done this before. Maybe every other big publisher company has done this before. Uh, people did it with Shadow of Mordor. Like, there, there's so many examples of this where it's like, I feel that these companies prey upon you either forgetting or kind of like the outrage fading away. And so the most important thing we can do is make sure it doesn't fade away. And not just any kind of outrage, obviously. Point it out. Um, let's make sure these developers and more specifically publishers realize that whenever they try and do something like this, 
we're not going to let them forget it. And we're definitely not going to forget about it within a couple of months. And the next thing you know, everything is fine about Mortal Kombat and everyone loves it again. It, it's it's just um, it's getting to the point to where you can no longer think they're making mistakes, if that makes sense. They're not making mistakes. They know exactly what they're doing. And I think people need to start treating it that way. <clears throat> Bad PR is unsustainable in the long run. Oh, yeah, absolutely it is. And, and that's sort of the thing is, is like they're, they're playing with their names here, if that makes sense. Like they're playing with their recognition, their brand, etc. Sooner or later... These publishers are going to exhaust so many developers. And when I say exhaust, what I truly mean is they're going to pick up developers, have them working on projects, force them to adopt certain business plans whenever they do or don't, run them through the mud because of it. And then after that, people don't want to work with that developer anymore. They don't want to play a game from that developer anymore. And is it the developer's fault? Not really. And this is kind of why I'm taking a lot of like offense, I would say, with such a thing. We talked about this with um, Chris Avalon on the podcast, and we've talked about it before. It's becoming more and more apparent that publishers are sort of like, they use the developer as a shield for any of the negative criticism. They use it as a shield. And, it, and it's, it's, it's almost like comical. Like my favorite story to tell about this is you guys remember Apex Legends? Whenever Apex, a, sorry, Apex Legends came out, and it came out of nowhere and was big and popular and got a bunch of people playing it, um... One thing that Respawn Entertainment, the development company that worked on it, said was that EA had no involvement in this. And I love telling this story because it's just so funny to me. Immediately after they get all of the success, you see EA like, oh, yeah, woohoo, Titan, you know, like, yeah, you know, we know Titan uh, Fall wasn't going to be a, a game because of this or whatever. But hey, Apex Legends is amazing, right, guys? Apex Legends, woohoo. And then you're like, wait a minute. I thought you guys had no like involvement in this. Why are you guys involved in this now? Oh, because it started to be successful. <laughs> They're only interested whenever it actually becomes successful, right? This short-term thinking where you're willing to just completely undo years and years worth of reputation for a company such as BioWare, right? such as obsidian or insert any other classic company you take away these games um reputations and that's basically all they have left like many of these companies bioware included they do not have the same developers they used to have they don't have the same creative talent i mean we just talked about them losing multiple of their original members daniel erickson works for another company james olin now works for wizards of the coast um i mean drew carpetian doesn't work there anymore or barely works with them like there's so many different examples of Bioware losing talent. And um, this topic, I, it always comes back to Bioware, doesn't it? It comes back to Bioware because I think we all realize that if this doesn't work out for Bioware, and at this point, how is it going to? These publishers are just going to try and swap out to the next developer. You know? Whoever else has the name brand recognition, whoever else has the creative team, and then they're going to run them into the ground until they crunch them to death. Those people quit. They no longer have the same reputation because they're putting out inferior products because of things like Anthem and all of the problems that go with. It's a long, convoluted thing, isn't it? So instead of talking about that anymore, I'll go ahead and move on to the MMOs and the Go segment. 
This is, of course, where we talk about all things going on in the world of MMOs, at least things that most uh, interest me. And there's been a recent announcement. We talked briefly about this, but Perea Chronicles uh, has been showcasing some some gameplay from their KR closed beta, um, the Korean closed beta, as of May uh, 9th, 2019, um, prior to their Korea closed beta. Well, why would they... Why would they phrase it that way? Sometimes I feel like I should almost like change the name of these articles before I even cover them because sometimes they confuse me. It might be a translation, but I don't know why they, they would say video showcasing combat prior to the closed beta. It's like, what? Anyway, let's go ahead and take a look at this. Now, Nexon is a massive MMO publisher. I've covered them many times. Uh, they're also a free-to-play publisher. Nexon and NCSoft in particular are both um, titans in the uh, Korean space. Nexon, of course, has been recently in the news because they've been in talks um, of being acquired, actually, by uh, none other than Disney. So apparently Disney's in talks to acquire Nexon. A couple different companies are, are in talks to acquire Nexon because I believe the one of the sole owners owns like 60 to 70 percent. He's a he's a like legitimately a um, he has a majority stake in the company and he's been looking to sell it all. So. I don't really know what to think about all, all of that. Obviously, that's just circumstantial so far. But let's just go ahead and take a look at what this Priya Chronicles is supposed to be. So it's obviously it's like a cell shaded type of game. Um, it, for any of you who've ever played games like that, you can tell it's got a bit of the cell shading on the outskirts of like each texture model. You see that? It's supposedly supposed to make the art look more, um, I guess I would say distinctive. It also, it's something you typically see in these more like, I, would, I don't want to say like childlike graphics, like I guess anime style graphics. They typically like this cell shaded style. That reminds me a lot of like Borderlands. I mean, I know Borderlands, of course, is one of the most popular proponents of such a style. Um, I'm just sort of wondering what they're trying to accomplish here. The the animations look good. Um, just just to just to explain to you guys when what I look for whenever I watch gameplay, I, all I watch for is frame drops. I watch for animations. I watch for movement. I watch for how many things are on screen at the same time. I'm paying attention to um, things such as uh, visual feedback, right? Can you see when you're hitting something? Um, why did that animation make any sense? Oh, he like makes it self-destruct or something? I don't know. That was, that was like an interesting thing. Let's see what else we got here. I don't know anything about this game. Apparently, it's been being showed for a number of years now. It's not even launched in Korea yet. It's about to go into its closed beta in Korea, which means that if you're hoping to play it in the Western world, <laughs> you'll be waiting for a little bit unless you can get a Korean account, which are usually tied to social security numbers. That's some pretty impressive uh, texturing. I, I like that. I like the look of some of the things here. I, I can't say that anime style is my favorite. Just typically because, honestly, I find it to be, on average, attached to rather poor MMOs. And what I mean by poor MMOs, I mean as in the features of an MMO. You know, massive, multiplayer, and online. 
I'm seeing a lot of static animations, a lot of static kind of abilities being cast. Obvious frame lag there whenever he started casting abilities. I don't know. There, there's, a, there's a couple things here that I'm, I'm sort of like... You, you always wonder how much you can glean from just watching a video, right? There's not a whole lot you can, especially if they're trying to show you a very particular style or a very particular thing. And here it looks like they're just showing off kind of like animations and and how things move and react to being hit and how things look whenever they are being hit. It sort of reminds me of like so far a poor man's um persona or maybe like almost like a summoner style uh, of gameplay like maybe Atlantica online uh or is it Rusty Hearts that lets you summon different characters or is that the one that lets you switch between the different characters? <clears throat> I always forget. I always get my um, more Korean-style MMOs, I guess, confused. I don't really know what to think of this, though. This doesn't really tell me anything, I'll be honest. Watching these gameplays, they're particularly shot in a way where I feel like they don't really tell you any information. But one thing I'm very curious about is um, there's not a whole lot of people on screen in these videos. <laughs> so the number one thing that I always think about, guys, is... Are they showing things on screen or not showing things on screen because they can or can't? Meaning like it's going to tank performance like in the case of Ascent uh, Infinite Project Realm. Um, that That's a project where you could bless online as well. I mean, you could clearly see whenever they had enough things on screen, the game wouldn't even function at a normal FPS. This case, it looks like they're learning a little bit. They're not trying to put so many things on screen at the same time. Isman says it's a hype video. It probably is, right? Sorry, let me clear my nose real quick. Excuse moi. Alright. I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. And see some more uh, gameplay footage. I don't really trust anything more these days besides just straight gameplay footage. Actually, let's talk about that. I think it's incorrect to assume, though it might be, it might be backed up by a lot of um, my videos. <laughs> um, but it's incorrectly to assume that, or it's incorrect rather, to assume that I personally don't get hyped about games. I do get hyped. And just so you guys know, as soon as I can be hyped about something that's very exciting, I'm going to hype it until the end of time, right? As much as I possibly could, and as rationally as I could, of course. I'm trying to explain to you guys maybe like, some of the precautions or some of the positives, etc., etc. But what I've been noticing more and more is people see a video, especially an MMO video, and even in 2019, they're still getting hyped off of just watching videos. Frankly speaking, I think we're past that point. I think these days, show me the gameplay video, show me the MMO systems working in conjunction with the gameplay and the and you know the combat and all that stuff show me that and then maybe I'll be interested if you're just going to show me some like arena gameplay you know some cool animations and flashy graphics it's just like that doesn't really matter and and what I mean by that is that one of my biggest problems guys with a uh, korean made MMOs and I know people have obviously spotted that I have a bit of a bias against them and I don't necessarily want to say that it's a bias against them inherently because first let me say I love anime and I have been playing uh, Japanese and Korean games since I was a young kid. 
So it has nothing to do with me not liking a st that style of game or me not respecting Asian culture. In reality, it's just because the way that Asian uh, Korean developers typically do MMOs is it's a lot more focused on different things. And it's different things that I personally don't really, you know, find that much interest in. For example, graphical fidelity is a big focus in Asian MMOs. And it just has been that way for a number of time. I mean, shit, since Lineage, right? Lineage back then was good looking. These days looks ancient. But you look at any game that's come out in the past three to four years, and nearly all of them look great, right? Like even Bless has its problems, but it was it was supposed to be, you know, advertised as a good looking game. Many of these Korean MMOs are good looking games, right? They look pretty damn good. However, looks don't really mean a whole lot to me. And and that's because when I go into an MMO, the first thing that I'm interested in is is the world believable? Does it function properly? And when I mean properly, I mean based on its own design. So when I go into this world, am I introduced into this world? Am I just kind of teleported into there? Am I given a reason why I'm doing anything? Am I just kind of running around chopping things heads off for whatever reason to get to the next quest? These are sort of things that I think about. What I'm most interested in is an MMORPG. Like I like the role-playing game aspects. I like the ability to choose my class, the ability to choose my spec, the ability to wear different gear, the ability to interact with different people, uh, group up with people, quest with people. I like the MMO aspects of an MMO. I think as of 2019, many MMO fans, because we're not getting the same kind of MMOs that we're either used to or maybe necessarily wanting from an RPG perspective, it's kind of getting to the point now where I almost feel like I'm like divorcing myself from the typical MMO fan. And what I mean by that is like, the typical MMO fan in this current day and age is okay with playing games like Black Desert Online. They're okay with playing Terra. These are games that do not in any way, shape, or form try and be a world. They do not try to be a world. And what I mean by that is that these games have auto run in them. They are all about animations. They'll, they'll gender lock classes because they're saving money. They don't have that many specs, so there's not a whole lot of variety. It's basically, you can play the game in a number of these ways, and that's it. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure there's tons of content in Black Desert Online to play it that way. But for somebody like me, who wants to play a game that I can, say for example, let's talk about my time recently spent playing WoW Classic. For those who haven't been following the Discord, you haven't been following, I guess, our journey, because there's a couple of us who decided to join a private server and play World of Warcraft. More specifically, the classic or vanilla version. Now, I've played many classic games, and I've played just about all of the major MMOs. I never played classic at length. I mean, I think I played the trial as a kid, and that was about it. I was too busy playing Guild Wars, you know, Star Wars Galaxies, other MMOs. I was always one of those fringe MMO fans who didn't play WoW, even though it was like the consensus most popular game. But I played everything else. <laughs> and so after the fact, when the news came out that they were doing a classic WoW, it had me intrigued just because, first off, as somebody involved in the space, I wanted to see what WoW Classic would do to other MMOs and maybe even if it could inspire other companies. That's sort of why I'm making a video about that. 
But I wanted to see if the hype was kind of real myself, right? And I've nearly always done this with MMOs. EverQuest, I went back and played that on Project 1999. Galaxies, obviously, I've played the emulator for a number of years now. I've um, uh, haven't had the chance to play the uh, play the most recent City of Heroes one, which we will talk about shortly. But point being is, I love trying old school MMOs. Why do I like playing old school MMOs? Is it because I'm nostalgic? Well, I never played WoW Classic, so why would I be nostalgic, right? Is it because I'm just like snooty and I hate everything? No, I think there's a legitimately good reason why. I like classic MMOs compared to new MMOs. And playing classic WoW is a clear example of that. Playing classic WoW right now, I should say vanilla WoW, private server, whatever you'd like to call it. It is, it is a game that I cannot play alone. Let me, let me say that again. Classic WoW is a game that I cannot play alone. I cannot play alone. It sounds weird to say that in 2019. Despite it not supposed to sound weird, I guess if that makes sense, you cannot play that game alone. There, like in any conceivable way, if you want to enjoy yourself, you will have to group. That's just how it goes. Limpos can meme all he wants, but you have to group with other people. It, if it's super tedious, basically nobody's going to do it, Limpos. Because I do it. I play it alone. But does that mean that everybody could play it alone? No, because I play it alone because, well, I've been playing MMOs for basically my whole life. So I'm a little bit better at knowing how to play them alone, right? So I can level on my own. But can I, say, for example, do a raid? Do a dungeon? No. Can I do a battleground? No. Can I do world versus world PvP? No. Can I craft uh, or, or buy from somebody else who has professions that I don't have? Well, I have to, right? Because I'm only locked to two professions, main professions. Um, how do I get certain resources? Well, other people craft them or other people loot them. You have to buy them off the auction house. You have to buy them from other players. The point being is no matter what in Classic WoW's design, it makes you rely on other players. And that's how it should be. Like, let me, let me say this again. That is how it should be. It should be. It should be that way. It should force you to want to work with other players. It should force you to want to work together, really. Because ultimately speaking, MMOs were founded on the simple ideal of a pen and paper RPG eventually becoming something more to where it no longer was about just imagination. It was like, maybe we can actually show this on the screen, right? That's kind of how multi-user dungeons and MUDs worked. It was just like, all right, these are text-based games. We get a little bit of graphics every now and then, but we're mostly just kind of typing out what we're doing in the game. Well, eventually, of course, as things upgraded, technology advanced, and EverQuest 1 came out, um, Ultima came out, and a couple other classic games, like Asheron's Call, which, by the way, is the next step of the game. Somebody finally guessed it. Um, that one took a while. I was surprised by that one. I was surprised it took people so long. They kept asking for the Asheron's Call video, but they didn't realize that that was actually the main clue in our most recent uh, Death of the Game on Hawken. Uh, any anyway... <laughs> These classic games offered a unique experience for the time, but still to this day. And why is that? Why do people want to play these old school games? Why are they still being played? If you think nostalgia, you're just deluding yourself at this point. You're, like, this is me speaking to everybody. 
the people who think nostalgia is the reason why people keep playing the old school MMOs, they're just deluded. There's something right there. They're doing something right. Otherwise, these games wouldn't exist, and they most definitely wouldn't exist with 20,000 player-made created accounts on a private server for a game that came out in 05 or 04. You see what I'm saying, guys? Like, clearly it shows that these old systems in some way, shape, or form are working. And why is that? Well, because, again, ultimately, the one thing, at least so far based on technology, that we cannot get rid of, guys, is our reliance on other people. Right? Right now, the most important skill to have with the impending doom of the robots coming is social skills. Is the ability to talk to people, the ability to work with people, the ability to work together on a particular goal or whatever else, right? That is the most important skill to have whenever the robots come and take over, right? That's the whole like storyline at least. But that's also the number one thing to have in an MMO because if you don't have it, why even play an MMO? Seriously, to the people who play MMOs uh, as a single player and you never interact with anybody else. By the way, this is a very, 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 very small percentage of players as I've seen in every statistic ever mentioned about such a thing. It's nearly always a tiny amount of players who will play everything solo. Now, I know a couple of these players, and the most hardcore players I know in the world are solo players. Just, just let, me let, let me put that out there. The most hardcore players are solo players. Why is that? Because it should be more difficult to play an MMO alone. It should. Sorry, guys. If, if that's some, like a concept that you kind of disagree with, then maybe you shouldn't play an MMORPG. Because um, why play an MMORPG if you don't want to interact with people? Why not just play, I don't know, an arena game or something like where you can just kill everyone that you encounter? Or why not just play, uh, I don't know, what's, what's the equivalent these days that people like to do? Uh, a BR. Why not just play a Battle Royale game? If you don't care about customization, you don't care about class uh, uh, makeup, you don't care about specs or builds, you don't care about working with other players, team composition, maybe like a holy trinity of sorts. If you don't care about any of that, then maybe MMOs aren't exactly the game for you. What I'm trying to get at here, guys, is that classic games are good and still sticking around, not because of nostalgia, not because of name recognition alone, not because of really any of these other things. In actuality, you can go back and play these games and still see, observe, and experience why the game was good then, now. And that's what I experienced with WoW Classic so far. I experienced a game that, although it clearly has certain faults, so again, just because a classic game is classic doesn't mean you can't point out its problems. If something is classic and it has been running for 10 plus years already, it's going to have problems, just by nature. So it's not a matter of these things are perfect. It's these things are still pretty damn good. And if these problems that I'm having, which are fixable and were fixed in other versions of, you know, more recently launched MMOs, then you're telling me that we can't look on the up and up? Like, of course we can. We can look on the up and up. I think we should be optimistic, especially with how things are panning right now. We have old school games having really popular private servers. So that's showing to people that, this is not a group of people who've disappeared magically. Like, I know people think MMO fans just, you know, disapparated into the world or like whatever. Like, they just totally disappeared. 
in reality, we've all we've been here, guys. We've just been waiting for an MMO that's worth playing or that we think is unique or or that we think feels somewhat more so like a massive multiplayer online game. <clears throat> and not to mention Limpos, uh, to answer your question, but these things are all things that other MMOs have. I, I didn't answer that because I didn't think you were being serious. That's not really like a serious statement. <laughs> I mean, like, it's so silly, I don't even know where to start. That's why Pantheon is all I'm looking forward to. I don't know. Pantheon is just one of those things where I'm sort of confused about Pantheon because although I've just sat here and waxed poetic about old school game designs and old school kind of like um, ways of thought being very successful, that doesn't mean that I think that it's just one to one successful, right? It doesn't mean that I think it's going to work as it is right now in the current marketplace. I don't know if I'm convinced that Pantheon can do that just based on, you know, just assuming it, right? But I'm very eager to see if Pantheon could do well because I want to see if such a model, if that old school style of game where you basically just focus on an adventure party, working together, um, doing group PvE content and the like, if that kind of model can still work, I, I mean, I'm not going to be like mad or sad about it. I think it'll be very interesting to watch unfold first off. And um, I think it's a good thing. It's more competition, of course, and it's a different style of game. This day and age, in 2019, finally, we're getting back to the point, which is like, I say back to because we've been here before, but we're back to the point to where we're sort of needing some sort of um, revival. We need something different. Clearly, getting the same thing over and over again isn't really working long term. And did it work short term? Absolutely. But Chris Avalon said something that really stuck, uh, stood out to me last week on the podcast. He said that he believes that most of these companies think about the short term. And they're not even concerned about the long term. They're just like, we'll get enough money in the short term to where it won't really be a big problem. And this is sort of like, um, this is where I, I sort of take issue with uh, many of these companies lately. They come out with essentially the same kind of game um, modeled after another one. And if you haven't heard me rant about this, well, sorry to burst your bubble if you play any of these games. But Guild Wars 2 plays like um, Elder Scrolls Online. Elder Scrolls Online plays like uh, uh, Final Fantasy XIV. Final Fantasy XIV plays like WoW, modern WoW. They all play similar. If you've played one, you've most likely played the others. I, I mean, I have. Most people I know, if you've played a theme park game, you've played like the collection of theme park games, which is like the, the titans of the industry, if you want to put it that way. Elder Scrolls, Guild Wars, WoW, I should say modern WoW, and then uh, Final Fantasy XIV. To bring it back to Pantheon a bit, if you're wondering why I'm not so optimistic about Pantheon or games like Pantheon, I haven't had a de facto video put out on this before, but I really want to, to sum up my thoughts. But I'm almost convinced now that theme park games are not sustainable. I, I don't think they're sustainable. I really don't. The only way they've proven to be sustainable in the past is when they do ab like abnormally well. If a theme park game does really well, they will keep it around. And a perfect example of this is, um, it depends on the scale, I should say. And sometimes games and companies don't ever recover because they were originally set up for such a grand scale and either it costs way too much or the risk is too great for them to change anything about the game. 
uh, Star Wars The Old Republic is a perfect example of this. Why haven't they really, like, changed the game? Like, in actuality, changed the game. They can't. The hero engine ha has had them locked in since, like, day one. There's nothing they can really fix about that, right? They just have to keep going with what they've got, which is let's come out with a little bit more token story content, sell more loot boxes, and that's essentially the model of uh, SWOTOR. That's the model of Star Trek Online. There's many different games that are like that. I don't really think that's sustainable because you look at WoW. Let's, let's make WoW as an example here. BFA, Battle for Azeroth, WoW's most recent expansion, didn't do so hot and uh, resulted in their player base dropping to levels it hasn't been in some time. Now, easy solution, right? Just make another expansion. That's not so easy, right? Another expansion takes another year or two plus of development time. And guess how much money it takes? Oh, it takes an ass load of money too. Because you have to create all the assets, the art, the music, campaign, the, the marketing, uh, the main characters, the, the cinematics, the concept art. There's just so much that goes into it. So you look at WoW and people think, oh, WoW can't die. Come on, they're going to put out another expansion. Guys, what do you expect to happen if they put out another bad expansion? Do you think it's just going to keep carrying on like no problem? No, it, it's a game that's already at this level of scale because it cannot lower itself anymore because it's still the biggest MMO. And so I think actually, technically speaking, there's one, there's one that has more pop, like Dungeon Fighter. I think uh, Rippy's mentioned that before. But anyway, WoW is still at the top, right? It's still at the top. It can't really come back down because once it starts coming back down, it's going to be the death of WoW. And to explain what I mean, and I've mentioned this before with other theme park games, so don't think I'm just picking on WoW here. When a theme park game, and theme park as described, is a game that is completely, almost completely, I should say, reliant on developer-made or developer-tailored content. So sort of think of it as like, whenever you load into the game, instead of just loading in and just being like dropped off like an old school sandbox that had no theme park features, you spawn, you, you talk to some dude, he tells you some big plot, you're the chosen one, etc., etc., it's it's designed to where as soon as you log in, you're moving from point of enjoyment to the next point of enjoyment to the next point of enjoyment to the next. That's kind of how it works, right? And so there's not a whole lot of wasted time. You don't have to wait around, wait for a group. You don't have to sit around and wait for a quest uh, NPC to respawn. You just go from point to point to point to point to point. Sounds great, right? Because you just get to experience all of the fun aspects. Well, guys, life isn't just all fun, first off. Second off, if you make it only about the fun aspects, funny enough, you kind of unravel the world, right? Think about it. In the theme park game, after I exhaust the current expansion's worth of content, why would I keep playing the game? Why do I keep playing it? Can anybody answer this? I've never had this question answered for me. I always wondered this. And I, I felt like even as a youngin, how come no one ever can answer this question? But it was like, all right, what do you do after you finish the uh, expansion content? Do it again i guess do it on the harder mode um make another character i guess i mean you've already ruined the whole leveling experience so why would i make another character i'm not gonna make another character you've you've made it to where i can just pay and i get a token for a fresh new character at level 110 so i never have to go back to square zero i can always start from somewhere where's the risk you know, like, where's the risk exactly in that, in that kind of environment? 
actually many people end up finishing it limpos that might have been true back like 10 years ago when expansions launched and you know like full completion but expansions these days do not launch completed at all i mean wow is the most egregious example of this they launch an expansion that's multiple patch jobs away from being considered a completed project many people finish the content in uh battle for azeroth and said personally they didn't think it was worth the reward so again if it's not worth the reward that you get from finishing the content and you do finish the content and you have really nothing else to do i mean like what like what what else is there to do there there's nothing else to do my point is that no matter what with developer made content with developer tailored content it will reach a point where it is finite it will run out. It doesn't last forever. It's finite content. You sooner or later will get bored of playing the same exact dungeon again. Even if it's on a harder difficulty. People complain about this all the time on raid forums. The, the problem with a, with a theme park game, as I've been trying to illustrate to you guys primarily, is shelf life. It is 100% reliant on developers making more content, which means that when a developer made content, um, sorry, when a theme park MMO is doing well, it's all steam. It's it's full steam ahead. Look at look at Elder Scrolls right now. They went from being down to kind of up. And every new expansion, they get a whole bunch of new excitement, and everybody's excited, and then it fades away. And then what? And the next expansion comes out. Rinse and repeat. That's okay as long as it's working. But now let's talk about when it doesn't work. Like Battle for Azeroth didn't work. So now what? If they put out another battle for Azeroth, what do you think will happen to WoW is my question to many of you. Do you think it will have a slow fall or a grand fall? I would wager, based on all of the evidence that I've seen, it can't have a slow fall. It's impossible for such a giant game with giant stakes to have such a small progression or, or a small death or, or a slow excruciating death. It's not going to be slow. It's going to come fast. And it's going to surprise people, I think. I think people will realize when it comes to these developer-made uh, MMOs, um, if they haven't realized already from watching the channel or playing any of these games, that they are just not sustainable. If there are not enough sandbox features in your game to keep it around, it will die. It will run out of content. And if it doesn't make more money, it will 100% guaranteed run out of content. Because that's how it functions, right? It needs more money in order to keep making more content. You might ask, okay, well, what's the solution then? I mean, that's just like most single-player games or most multiplayer games. Like, sooner or later, you run out of content, right? Well, not really. Like, wh why is a game like League of Legends able to continue to play the same game over and over again and it doesn't feel like the same experience? Well, because there's a number of different factors in each game that are different each time. So it feels like each game you're playing is actually different. Um, that's sort of an aspect of like arenas and battlegrounds and, and raids, um, not most raids, but some raids will kind of keep players staying around. Right. And so what I'm convinced of guys is that the current business market or sorry, current business model for many of these big MMO companies is simple. It's not about retaining you. It's about bringing in new players. It's about bringing in somebody else. Maybe they're not really necessarily worried so much about retaining. Because, by the way, retaining is actually easier to do with a customer base than getting a new customer. But if your game is completely reliant on developer-made content, it's actually pretty hard to retain. And, 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 and I've been mentioning this is that because <clears throat> the more you play, the less there is to do. And you might ask, again, 
well, isn't this like this in just every kind of environment? Well, no, that's the main point I'm trying to make to you guys. Why do these old school MMOs still function today a decade plus after they've been invented? Because those versions of the game were not 100% reliant on developer-made content. There may be 20, 20, 80, maybe 30, 70. In WoW's case, maybe 70, 30, right? Whatever it is. Point being is, once you make that switch to being almost completely reliant on developer-made content, SWOTOR, Star Trek, you almost like isolate yourself in the market. You know what I mean? Like you're you're in this other little spot over here where as soon as people get done playing the next story content, they're going to leave. So how do you keep players around? How do you keep people interested? Well, you have to design systems, not not a quest, not not a single raid. You have to design a system that keeps people playing the game. So what's an example of this? Well, a perfect example of this is the Chronicler. If any of you have ever played Star Wars Galaxies, in the NGE, they came out with something called the Chronicler. The Chronicler was a particular role that was created to allow people to create their own narratives. So it let people create quest lines, storylines, PvP um, fights, whatever you could kind of imagine, you could create in this Chronicler system. So it was almost like a DM system of sorts, like a dungeon master system of sorts. And so you might ask, well, don't people eventually get bored of that? Well, no, because that kind of system, essentially, as long as they keep, you know, over time adding more and more variety to it, can have an unlimited amount of, of potential. Why? Because it's reliant on the player's mind, on the player's creativity, on the players, right? Not just the developers. A developer-made MMO or focused MMO, a theme park MMO, and if you guys don't believe me, please, please go play these games and tell me if you have the same uh, thought, or at least you can see my point here. You might not agree with it 100%, but maybe you can at least see what, I, what point I'm trying to make. A theme park game by design can be played alone. Why? Because the main focus of the game is to make you progress to the next bit of content, right? It's not about, okay, well, in this game... And, and let's let, again, we'll use Star Wars Galaxy as an example just because I brought it up now. It's also the game I know the most about. <laughs> um, I don't know. Let's just decide I'm playing Galaxies and I stumble upon a pet. I'm like, man, I'd like to have a good pet. Guys, looking for a pet and raising a pet in Star Wars Galaxies alone is an entire way to play the game. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. You can spend hours and hours and dozens of hours, hundreds of hours trying to raise pets in that game. That's how serious it gets. There's mutations in the game. So you can actually have mutated pets that have extra points added to their uh, overall skill points. So people have found ways to design and mutate very specific pets and then charge lots of money for them. And so these people who've almost like specialized their skill in an MMO focused almost entirely on how can I raise a really good pet? That was one way they played the game. And it kept them playing the game. Why is that? Is it because they did a quest after they made the pet and then they made another quest and they turned the pet in and there you go. That's how it played. No, no, no. They have to support the community. Other people need pets. Other people need to know how to buy pets. Other people, you, you see what I'm saying? So it's like there's other things that go into it. Readers, exactly. Sometimes the community of a game keeps you hooked. You find friends in some of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure many of you can attest to the uh, example that you've probably all experienced where you wanted to stop playing a game, but you kept playing because you're friends. Or you kept playing because you knew somebody that you played with and 
he he always made you miss playing with him or whatever else. Isn't roleplay another reason games stay around? It is, but I will make the very simple case to you, in my opinion, that theme park roleplay is inherently flawed. It it won't work. It won't work because unless they design a particular roleplay system and add a lot of features to it, you're relying on a game that isn't made for roleplay to allow you to roleplay. And a perfect example of this is how can the chosen one roleplay when he's next to 16 other chosen ones? Think about think about Anakin. You know, Anakin walks up and everyone's like, oh, Anakin, you know, you're supposed to bring balance to the Force and maybe you're going to be a dark side uh, Jedi at some point, but right now you're still a good guy. Well, everybody's everybody's Anakin. Everybody around you is Anakin. There's Anakin right there. Wait a minute. Why is Anakin dressed like a girl? Why does that Anakin have blue hair? Well, because we're all Anakin. We're all the chosen one. We're all great. We're all super wonderful, fantastic, amazing. It's pretty hard to roleplay when the entire game is telling you that you're special. I, I don't know. It's just like, how do you roleplay under that like framework? You tell everyone, hey, I'm the chosen one, not you. <laughs> I'm the chosen one, not you. I'm the real chosen one because I did it first. I don't know. I'm sorry, but I, it's just like I've, I've tried role-playing in SWOTOR. It never really seemed like it went. It never made sense from a community perspective. You are the one, unfortunately, in many of the popular uh, MMOs that are out right now. Uh, WoW, ESO, um, Final Fantasy, Guild Wars. What am I missing here? There's some other chosen one play uh sorry, chosen one MMOs. Um, Swotor, Star Trek. No, Star Trek has different modules, I should say. Although it's similar to, to Swotor, it's not the same. It's it's got some differences. I'm Spartacus. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure a lot of people uh used to say that a lot as well. ESO seems to work based on the depth of lore. I, I disagree. And I will gladly show you guys why I think Elder Scrolls Online, frankly speaking, is one of my most hated MMOs. Like, if, if this isn't apparent to you guys, I don't just dislike Elder Scrolls Online. I really dislike it. And I would gladly explain to you guys. But I've been waiting to make a video on it because I wanted to go deeper than just, you know, my normal criticism, I guess I would say. But I also wanted to talk to somebody else, um, as you guys know and have seen featured on the channel before. Indigo Gaming is what I would describe as an Elder Scrolls uh, nerd. Like, he's the nerd. He's the Elder Scrolls nerd. And so, um, I want to have a, a conversation with him. Kind of, We've talked a bit about it before, but I want to talk with him about what's his opinion on Elder Scrolls Online, which he's mentioned to me before. But more so specifically... If he thinks that based on the way it's designed, it's actually kind of flawed by design. I, I think he would kind of make an argument like that. You guys would love to hear my thoughts on Elder Scrolls Online. <laughs> uh, you know, I feel like I either need to save it for a video or sometime I stream with you guys. Just because I, if I could show it to you, I could easily show you guys my problem. Um, and I've done this before with combat. 
I think combat and, and Elder Scrolls Online isn't just bad. I think it's atrocious. Like, I, I think it's actually really bad. I think Guild Wars 2, far and, or, far and away, Guild Wars 2 has the best combat on the market right now. That's just my opinion. Like, I think it's got the best uh, PvP. It's, uh, sorry, it's got the best um, combat for PvP. I don't know. That's just my opinion. Obviously, I'm biased. I played the game professionally and played it religiously. But I just think Guild Wars 2 has a better combat system than the other games. I know it has invuln frames. I know it has problems. I just think it's the best combat system out there right now. It functions the best. It, it, it seems like it's the most responsive. It has some of the best uh, animations. Trust me, I have my problems with Guild Wars 2, as you guys know. I have many problems with that game. But I just think that it's probably got the best combat system out. <clears throat> I heard you rant enough about it. I agreed with you back then, and I still do. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I think um, it, it's hard to have this discussion sometimes because I don't want people to think that I'm saying you can't enjoy anything or you guys can't enjoy it. it it's hard to say that to people. You know, it's hard to say, hey, here's my opinion without people kind of taking it the wrong way and taking it like, oh, you're saying I can't enjoy it? Well, fuck you. I mean, guys, look at my Black Desert Online video. I've gotten more hate messages on that video than probably like, I mean, even more than my Eve video. <laughs> and I think it probably has to do with the fact that um, uh, Black Desert Online, if you're already playing the game, then you're probably going to hate me, right? You're already okay with those other issues. You're already okay with the business model. You're okay with all that other stuff. You're just looking at me like, eh. You hate it because you just don't want to play it. Like, screw you, right? People kind of have that mentality. Uh, Guild Wars 2 is is interesting because it's it's one of those games that I feel like has been around for a minute now, and it doesn't get as, uh, as much um, recognition for what it does do right, but I feel like it gets recognition for almost like what it does wrong more so. People always talk about like, the progression and how it's it's horizontal it's not vertical you're not actually like increasing it's just costume wars everyone talks about the aspects of guild wars 2 that are problematic but let's talk about the combat i mean what other game has better combat than it like i, I can't think of one i don't know one i think it it, it smashes black desert online's combat you want to know why because it doesn't try and pretend it's action combat really right it's pretty damn obvious that it's tab target I, I kind of like, I feel like, I know it seems like semantics to some people. Oh, but come on, Black Desert and Guild Wars, Black Desert's a faster game. It is faster, but I mean, there's still really no aim required. So it's more so pretending it's an action game. Whereas I feel like Guild Wars 2 is like, eh, we're like a hybrid game. We're like in between. And it's always been honest with that. I feel like it never tried to pretend it was like some super duper action game. And that's the vibe I get from Black Desert Online a lot. A lot. I think that's why I personally I dislike it more so. I like when things, whenever you go into a game, I expect to have, uh, put it this way. My expectations for a game are simple. I look at the IP. I look at what game it is. I read its vision. Like, what is it trying to do? What is it trying to communicate? And then I go into the world and I try and take it seriously. And what I mean trying to take it seriously, I mean as a role player. I go in, I'm like, okay, here's my character. I create my character, give him a backstory, give him all this other stuff. And then I try and live in the world, right? And in many games, current games, this is very difficult. I have to suspend my disbelief a lot. 
I have to suspend, uh, suspend my disbelief. And what I mean by that is each time you as a person have to dispend, or sorry, suspend your disbelief, it's another reason why you can't really be immersed into a game. Now, someone earlier asked, why can't you just read the story and kind of ignore the whole chosen one thing? Well, because it's an MMO. Like, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Like, I feel like, sorry, like, it's pretty simple to me in that case. Like, I'm playing an MMO. If we're all the chosen one, then none of us are the chosen one. Like, I'm, I'm so against chosen one playthroughs and storylines because they make no sense in the context of an MMO. I mean, that's just my opinion. I know many people like to be the chosen super special whatever guy. Hey, I, just let me be a moisture farmer on Loke. Loki. Let me be a moisture farmer on, I don't know. Let, let me live on Narshada and just be a, a pirate. Like, let me run a gambling rig on Narshada. I don't want to be the chosen one. And I know people keep saying this and they keep speaking for other people. For example, um, on my Star Trek Online video, people mentioned, oh, well, of course you're the captain. I wouldn't want to be a support officer. Well, I, I, I would. Like, can you just not speak for everybody? I want to be the support officer. I want to be the captain who doesn't actually fly the ship. I don't want to be the pilot. Is it, I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's like by making everybody the chosen one, you actually take away choice from the game needlessly. Like, why not have a chosen one storyline for people who want to be the chosen one? And then why not have the average Joe storyline? I mean, I want, I want the average Joe storyline. Sorry, I know. Spoilers. I don't like the super chosen one storylines, but... That's because um, if I'm going to play a Chosen One storyline, I'm just going to play a single-player game. For example, in uh, Dragon Age Origins, when you play like these, through these different um, kind of prologues, you're almost always like the Chosen One to some extent, right? Because you're supposed to make it out of the journey. It's, it's a story about you, right? Why don't I take a, uh, offense to that or take issue with that? Single-player game. Like, what, what disbelief do I have to suspend? It's just me in the game. I don't see any other players. I'm not imagining there's other people playing the game. I'm just seeing myself. But whenever I'm playing an MMO, I want to see other players. I want them to be different than me. I want them to look, to look at them and be like, what? what race is that guy? What class is that guy? You guys remember when you used to think that in a game? Man, what, what level is that guy? What rank is this guy? What class is this guy? You, you're genuinely interested and confused whenever you encounter another player. You want to see what they're doing, right? And um, I only want to play a single player game or sorry, I only want to play a chosen one storyline if it's a single player game. I just I don't really see why that needs to be in an MMO format first off and second off. I'm actually not convinced it's even good. I'm not convinced that kind of storyline is actually the best storyline to have because, you know, uh, many people will make jokes such as uh, Limpos about, oh, but like average Joe, why not just get a job? I mean, I don't, I don't even know what to say to that one either, dude. <laughs> that, that one's a bit ridiculous. Because I want to pretend I'm a Jedi? I mean, like, uh, you know, I want to be... I want to steal people's, like, credit chips and shit, like, and beat people in Pazak. Like, the fantasy world is why I want to play the game. So I don't want to be the chosen one in the fantasy world, right? I want to be the character I want to be. Which is, um, if I construct a Dunmer... <clears throat> sorry a dark elf and I'm playing elder scrolls online and I load in 
and I see that I can instantly teleport to the Altmer zone. I've mentioned this before. I, I realize for the people who aren't so into the lore, they don't realize how egregious this is. So let me provide a little bit of context. The Dunmer and Altmer are two different versions of the same person, essentially. Like, they come from the same kind of person. So whenever Vivek and the gods and, and, and such created a... Uh, um, when they created, uh, a, I guess I would say a race, he created it in his vision, right? So Vivek created the Altmer, and they look like him. If you've ever seen Vivek, he's Altmer. Now, if you remember, Nerevain is Dunmer, and that's like a big part of the story is he's Dunmer. And so everything that was created as a spinoff almost as Altmer, this, this, they kind of got this from Lord of the Rings, by the way. If you've ever read the Lord of the Rings... Um, Silmarillion, Silmarillion, sorry. If you've ever read that lore book or kind of like, it's a similar story. So the Altmer are like the, the pious and like light elves, if you will. And the Dunmer are the kind of like more salt of the earth, traditionalistic, darker elf, right? That's kind of how it works. And so you've got the Dunmer and the Altmer. And in actuality, the Dunmer are created almost as a, like a forsaken version of the uh, Altmer. And what I mean by forsaken is they're not supposed to be created. That's the storyline of Lord of the Rings as well, by the way. In Lord of the Rings, um, the dwarves, for example, are not created by one of the original like gods, if you will. They're created by almost like a guy who wasn't supposed to create his own people. But he wanted his own people so desperately that he created the dwarves. I think the Altmer Dunmer is sort of like a similar thing. But really, I mean, I shouldn't bore you guys with too much lore here because you're probably like, all right, Dunmer, Altmer. All right, so I just, I randomly Googled Dunmer, Altmer. I'm curious about what general uh, thoughts are concerning these people. I already know, but I'm just doing this for effect. They're cousin races, as this guy points out, right? However, the Altmer probably think that the Dunmer suck. And the Altmer think that the uh, uh, Alt sorry the Dunmer think that the Altmer sucked. The Dun actually the Dunmer are ex Chimer that were cursed by Azura. Yeah, so that's actually exactly what I was trying to get at. Sorry, thank you for um, pointing that out. Um, the point that I was uh, was getting to was that they are a cursed people, right? At least that's the storyline. Dunmer are supposed to be. I'm trying to be very careful in how I, I phrase this because I don't want to make it just seem like because they're dark, they're the cursed ones. Because the other ones are light, they're the good ones. So I was like trying to explain the context of it and uh, using Lord of the Rings as an example. The dwarven people aren't an official people. So technically they are kind of cursed. So it's like the same kind of like ideology here. Um, um, thank you for bringing that up, by the way, Meowth. So yeah, I think a good way to or an easy way to put it is that they're like a cursed form, right? Now, you just heard this whole backstory for why Altmer and Dunmer, although similar and although cousins, are almost like at odds with each other. They support different gods and they have different ideologies. So now that I've, you know, explained all of this different history to you, Altmer and Dunmer oftentimes can't stand each other. In fact, they're at odds with each other. The Altmer are oftentimes associated with the, um, the uh, Thalmer. And I'm not so educated on the ways of the Thalmer because I don't really think they were really mentioned all that much before Oblivion. 
and so I'm not as like into the lore surrounding them. So maybe somebody in chat can explain it. <clears throat> but the Falmer, which are almost like an an enemy like faction, most of them are sorry, most of them are Altmer. So Altmer, Dunmer, long story short, hate each other, right? Then why can I spawn as a Dunmer in the Altmer city? Can somebody explain that to me? Like all this history, all this background, even getting educated in chat by people because I miss points of like the dialogue. Sorry, I miss points of the lore. For example, like Azura and the cursing. Like, why are we like chilling in the same city? Why can I even spawn in the same city? Why can I even walk around as a Dunmer in an Altmer city? Period. Why? Why is that? Why am I able to do that? It doesn't make any sense lore-wise. In fact, it makes zero sense. How in the hell can I play as an Argonian and spawn in the Dunmer? How can I spawn in Morrowind as a, as a, as an Argonian, guys? Come on. Does anybody follow the lore here? Argonians were slaved by Dunmer and then rebelled and attacked the entire continent of Morrowind. And guess what? They leveled it. The Argonians leveled the content. They destroyed Morrowind. Why on earth am I able to spawn in this area? It makes no sense to me. Thalmer are basically pretty comparable to the Nazis, especially in Skyrim. They act very much like totalitarian. Ah, okay. Well, that would make sense because they're often described as the bad guys, right? <clears throat> Burrito Bent, come on, man. No, please don't tell me the marketing is working on you. You think that they're in a, a, a fragile alliance out of necessity? For what reason are they in alliance? They got rid of the alliances. They, with Tamriel Unlimited as an expansion, they made it to where you can play any alliance, any fat. What's the point of it anymore? <laughs> they literally retconned their own lore like I, like if it seems like i'm passionate about this it's because i love elder scrolls and i would love a great elder scrolls mmo but how on earth does the lore make any sense in the game when i'm trying to role play it doesn't make sense if i play an orc it doesn't make sense if i play argonian there's too many plot holes there's too many lore holes in this like why are our argonians just chilling with their bros and then they got rid of all of the lore <laughs> so the reason that maybe we couldn't have been friends and then became friends, they got rid of that part. So now we're just friends because we're friends. Like, I, I don't know. Like, if you cannot get into Elder Scrolls Online and actually just, like, ignore the other context and solely focus on whatever quest is in front of you, if you do that, I think you can have fun playing the game. I do. If you can get over the combat, I think there's something there for you to enjoy. There's enough content. It's reasonably priced. I've been on the floor for nearly all of their major expansions. They do a really good job of speaking to their uh, community. Um, the game seemed like it runs pretty well on these different expansions. The content looks at least like exciting. I've seen Morrowind recently. It doesn't look like it's bad artistically. It's just that my problem is, is that with each expansion, with each content update, it's almost like they're, they're, they don't understand that the further they go away from the source, the more it's going to mess up, or the more it's going to mess up. You know what? I thought of a perfect example to bring up, and I'm not going to bring up any spoilers, so please do not provide any spoilers or you will be banned. Um, if you want to talk about the spoiler of the episode, uh, then you can talk about it in Discord. Let's talk about Game of Thrones, right? 
Game of Thrones recently had its episode three of season eight, I believe. Is it season eight nowadays or is it season nine? I've, I've lost track. But um, it recently... Sorry. It recently had episode three. And people were pretty up in arms about this episode because they realized that this episode... Thank you um, for that, Nez, by the way. Eight is the final season. People were kind of pissed because they're getting rid of all of these storylines and they're doing it in the and, and basically like overnight. They're getting rid of these giant storylines and plots and whatever else. And people were kind of pissed off because they're like, hey, what about all this other context that you guys built up? What about all of this lore and all of the, you know, etc. The reason why I think that Game of Thrones is clearly getting to the point to where it's no longer following the source code is because A, it's been admitted. B, it's ahead of the books, quote unquote. C, it's now being used as like a cine, you know, a cinematic sort of story where it's no longer about the characters and it's more so about the plot, right? That's typically what casual fans relate to the most is plot-based uh, stories, not character-based, even though it started as a character. Anyway, uh, I digress. I bring this up because look at how angry people got when they kind of like strayed a little bit from the source code. They got pretty angry. And you might just say, oh, those are just nerds who are just angry about whatever. Well, no, like in this case, they're particularly mad, not just because it's off from the source, but because it's bad off from the source, right? In their opinion, it's not a good way of getting off of the source. So I bring this up as an example to, to illustrate that with Elder Scrolls Online, my issue with it is that as they move further and further away from what lore already was there and kind of like, I don't want to say retcon because they don't retcon it, but they kind of like make it like, What's the word? Maybe not. I can't think of the word. Obsolete, maybe. Maybe that kind of works. The more they move further away from the original vision and goal and all of this beautiful lore and this beautiful problem. This beautiful tribalism, I should say. Not beautiful problems. The tribalism is so great in Elder Scrolls. Think about it. It's probably the biggest aspect of the series. You have all of these different races, and they don't get along so easily. Many of them are at odds. You have to kind of figure out why. Why don't Argon Argonians like... Uh, why don't the... Actually, there's, there's a couple people who don't like the Dunmer. <laughs> I should specify. Sorry, I should specify. Many of the slaved races do not like the Dunmer because the Dunmer slave people. <laughs> um, I thought that that much was pretty apparent. And so there's a plot line there, right? You have slavers, you have Argonians trying to level Morrowind, like things like that. And then you have like the Nords and the storyline of Skyrim. And they're trying to say, hey, this is our place. This isn't, you know, an imperial place. The rebellion, etc. There's so much interesting lore that already exists. You've got the Dagoths. You've got the Sixth House. You've got um, these different items of power. You've got different Daedric gods that are always trying to muck things up. Like, I feel like there's so much good lore and, and so much easy ways to, to, to tie Elder Scrolls into an MMO and not have to make it so, like, theme park, I guess, is the only way to put it. I don't know. Elder Scrolls Online, for me, it just feels like uh, Disneyland. But it doesn't have the advantage of actually being Disneyland. I guess, for me. Um, if I go to Disneyland, at least I can still talk to Mickey. You know what I mean? 
Even if he's not, even if he's just some dude who sells pizza on his on his time off, and he's just a regular dude. Hey, at least I can still talk to him. You know, like at least I can ask him why he's in love with Minnie, and he probably will at least pretend he is because it's part of the story. <laughs> Versus, like, I show up to Disney World, guys. And Mickey's like making out with Goofy and I'm just like, what the heck is going on? And everyone's just like, <laughs> no one cares about the plot, dude. Like, no one follows the story. Lore, who cares about all of that? Let's get rid of all of that shit. I don't know. That, that's, that's what it feels like to me. The chaos gods over the Daedric gods. Of all the princes, the one who mucks around the most is, uh, or the mortals the most, is Mafala. End up in Disneyland Paris instead of the cool California Disneyland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> you show up like you're, you're in a complete other Disneyland. Uh, or no, sorry. You show up to Disneyland, but it's, Di <laughs> it's Disneyland in the Nordic, like the Nordic Sea. It's like frozen Disneyland. You're just like, wait a minute. This, not, this is not what I envisioned of Disneyland. Why is uh why is Mickey half frozen? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just being absurd about it, but I guess um if you're willing to kind of ignore all of that lore and you're willing to get over the uh gameplay issues, like at least my perceived issues, then um there's a lot of game to play in Elder Scrolls Online. It is a theme park game, so they have tons of different, you know, contained stories you can play within it, which I always think is a good thing. I should also specify, since we've talked a lot about theme park today, I do not hate theme park games. I actually do like them because they taught sandbox games that you cannot tell people that it's part of the experience. You can do anything. And it's actually like effective at selling someone something or it's just a good game. I actually am very much against the original sandbox ideology, which is like, guys, you just spawn and just do whatever. And you're like, can I actually do whatever? No. Can you just tell me what to do then? <laughs> like, in many of those games, you're like, can you just show me where to go then? Because I can't actually do whatever. But can you just, like, give me some kind of guidance? So I like theme park games because of that. Because they do a good job of tying you in immediately to the story. Not to mention, um, they help you feel like you have something to do when you maybe you're not so sure on what to do. So it's good at holding your hand, which needs to happen at some point of a game. There needs to be some level of hand-holding. So I'm not against theme park games. Um, Nez, I don't even know how to pronounce your name. Nez Krainier? Krainier? I don't know. You'd have, to, you'd have to give me like the uh, syllable by syllable of your name. What's my favorite theme park game? Probably Guild Wars 1. <clears throat> I would actually wager Guild Wars 1 is probably not only one of my favorite theme park games, it's one of my favorite games, period. I think Guild Wars 1 is a particular good theme park game because not only does it have so much content that you can play alone, there's also so much different types of content, period. It's just... Like, there's so much you can do in the game. You can PvP, you can alliance battle, you can team arena, you can random arena, you can Heroes Ascent, you can um, Faction Wars, you can Guild versus Guild, you can um, Hero versus Hero battles, one versus one in that game. I mean, there's like so many things you can do in Guild Wars 1 
for for theme park content, it's got loads of it. There's entire plot lines that you can play. Prophecies, you've got factions, you've got um Nightfall, you've got Eye of the North expansion. This all leads into Guild Wars 2. Basically, if you haven't played Guild Wars 1 and you don't mind the whole kind of old school style like almost click to move, I would say Someday I'll, I'll make a video about that game to show you guys why I like it so much. Even though it is blatantly one of the most theme park games you will ever encounter. Like, Guild Wars 1 is as theme park as you can possibly get. Everything is instance. Everything is, like, based on getting companions to help you out. In many ways, it seems like it goes against the essence of what an MMO is. But why did it work still? And why do I remember it so fondly? And, and even I played it recently and I still remembered it fondly. Um, why is that? To me, it's variety of content. For me, it's variety of play. There's difficulty levels for every kind of player. It's not just brain dead easy like in Guild Wars 2. There's so much variety in player versus player you can build your team, you can change your, your, like there's thousands of skills in the game. So you legitimately could every single week, basically for the rest of your life, play a different kind of build or a different team comp. Think about that, like how much variety there is in that game. That's why I love it so much. It's Nez Krenlir. Nez Krenlir. Gotcha, thank you. Watched the Hawken video and, didn't, and still didn't hear a Guild Wars 2 sound at the end. <laughs> Sorry, Radigain. Not, not quite yet, man. It's, um, they might not be doing so well business-wise, but I think we can all admit that they're still doing well uh, population and market share-wise. Guild Wars 1 skill system is what makes games I can't believe I skipped this game, or is what makes the game I can't believe I skipped the game. And expected it to be wow and was disappointed at release. It's barely an MMO. Oh yeah, it definitely is barely an MMO. I'm currently level 15 on a guy named Redshirt Guy. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm I'm a bit over the place with uh with my whole theme park discussion. But it's just because primarily, you know, I, I don't like when I come across as seeming like I'm almost like looking down at people who like such games because like I, I do like theme park games. It's just that I feel like I'm very, very picky of them because of Guild Wars 1. <laughs> I mean, it, it basically had everything that I wanted in a theme park game. I mean, it had variety. It had unlocks. It had skins. It had progression, long-form progression, short-term progression. It had uh, henchmen that you could customize. You could customize yourself. I mean, there's just so much that goes into the game. <clears throat> Still need to buy it, but it's worth it. If, if you're bored or you, and you're just wondering, like, why Guild Wars 1 is, is good or why I positively remember the game so well, I would give it a try. It is a game you can play alone. And um, although I didn't play it alone originally, later on, through subsequent expansions, they made it more easily playable alone. And that, I mean, many people have that issue, by the way. Many people complain in Guild Wars 1 that they made the heroes too powerful because originally it was henchmen. You didn't get heroes. Heroes didn't come until, if I believe, Nightfall, right? Is, can somebody quote me in, in chat if I'm wrong? 
I believe Nightfall is when heroes were introduced, which was the second expansion. So whenever heroes were introduced, they were much better than henchmen. Henchmen never really got used anymore, and heroes started to be used. But after that point, you didn't really need to group with anybody. You could just use the heroes. The heroes were pretty damn powerful. All right, let's talk about City of Heroes and more specifically Titan Network. Um, for those who haven't followed this whole story, I mean, there is just so much backstory. I thought about prepping you guys for all of it. At this point, <clears throat> I'm going to assume that you've already heard aspects of this. So for um, those wondering why I haven't covered the City of Heroes private server that recently went up and then went down and then went back up and then went down and then it was going to get shut down and then it wasn't and now they're in talks with the, it's all over the place right now but currently as this the story stands there was a hidden private server for city of heroes that was erected over you know a couple of years ago really and and basically kept under wraps according to the city of heroes subreddit as well as the guy in particular who actually leaked this on the discord so we found out that there were a um sorry there was a private server being run. And um this private server is fully functional. It's got just about everything working in the game and people were basically caught completely off guard by this. Most people were almost irrationally angry immediately because they're like, "Wait a minute. If there's a City of Heroes game, I need to be playing it." People were pretty pissed. Because if you guys remember the city of, or sorry, the story of City of Heroes, I made a video on it, of course, but um, it's a pretty sad story. NCSoft essentially shut down the game, um, even though it was in the green and being financially successful. And then whenever people tried to purchase the IP in order to keep it running, they denied any, any uh, um, dialogue of that sort. So essentially... They shut down their own game because it wasn't successful in Korea, and um, they kept it shut down. Or did they? Apparently a team, um, who I believe they go by Titan Network, designed or backwards engineered or reverse engineered, I don't know exactly how they did it, but they managed to get City of Heroes working and working on a private server. Excuse me. This news was leaked, and so of course, big outpour. People demanding that they release this information to the public. Because as people postulated, well, if you guys keep it a secret and they shut you guys down, then we'll lose all the source code. And we won't be able to keep this server running. And other people are like, well, why are you entitled to keep this server running? Why are you so entitled to play the game? And yes, is there a little bit of entitlement here that's unfair? Absolutely. I mean, we have to admit people can be entitled and um, sometimes overly so. But the dialogue really that's been, I, I guess I would say, the dialogue surrounding this private server has really been concerning the whole legality of it, whether it's going to, be, it's going to end up being legal, whether NCSoft is going to shut it down or take serious uh, litigation, or sorry, put litigation, what's, what's that term? Is it put litigation or is it create litigation? Huh. Anyway, basically, NCSoft, uh, are they going to threaten them with legal action? And then is a legal precedent going to be uh, erected that states that maybe they can't get rid of the server? These are many questions people are asking. Is it create litigation? Okay, gotcha. Litigate. Thank you. <laughs> I was wondering what that word was. 
currently as it stands right now, and I mean, I said this at the top, so you guys aren't going to be surprised. But just recently, two weeks in, City of Heroes was able to create four different rogue servers and have massive queues. In total, for a game that's 15 years old, as it states here in the article on MassivelyOP.com, over 31,000 people showed up to play over the weekend. Over 107,000 characters have been rolled on these servers. And you might wonder why those numbers are such a big disparity. That's because the biggest fun aspect of City of Heroes is creating your character. And so, I thought people didn't care about these games anymore. I thought these games were all dead. I thought old school MMOs didn't work, so no one cared anymore. Where are all these players coming from? Why do these players care so much about this dead game? Oh, because City of Heroes not only was the de facto superhero MMO of the MMO genre, it's kind of the one that like started it all, if you think about it. City of Heroes is the reason why we got champions. City of Heroes is why we got... Um, is why we got uh, Marvel Heroes. City of Heroes is why we got DC Universe. City of Heroes is why we got basically all of these other superhero games. Um, on the PC, I should say. The, the MMO variant, uh, variety of them. Clearly, it was, a, a I guess what you would call, a founding father of the MMO industry. And, um, <clears throat> of course, as uh, Limpos pointed out, could these numbers be entirely because the game is free to play? No, there's zero way to ever make such a claim. Is it in good part due to it being free to play? I mean, I'm sure in some way, shape, or form, but I will uh, stake my whole career on it that if you let people pay money, they would. Money is not the boundary here. It is not money. With classic games, money is not the boundary. We will pay money for old games. I will pay money for an old game. The problem is the legality, right? That's my problem with this. People have asked me, how come you don't cover it more? Why don't you play on the rogue servers? Why aren't you so excited? Why aren't you making a video about this? First, let me say, I've been watching and observing the story since the very beginning. I, I never was not going to cover it. I just, um, you know, I didn't want to like poo-poo on everyone's parade. And what I mean by that is that, okay, let's have a discussion. There is a particular video that was put out by um, none other than uh, a guy that, you know, we support very much on the channel, and we have supported his content before. I will go ahead and link this um, video. I think most of you have probably already seen it, or at least seen parts of it or heard of it. <clears throat> so, Accursed Farms or Ross's Game Dungeon, um, for those who follow that series. Uh, is it, wait, it's Ross's Game Dungeon. Sorry, forgot the part at the end. He made a hour-long, like, magnum, Magnus Opius, like, uh, basically, like, his, like, probably most de facto piece of work that we've seen so far. And it was on the subject of trademarks, IPs, games as a service, what's considered legal, What's considered illegal? What are we entitled to as a consumer? What are we not entitled to? He brings up a lot of very interesting points. If you haven't seen this video already, I really recommend you going down and clicking through the different timestamps to kind of see what his legal arguments are, to see what his like counter arguments are, and etc. Because 
I don't have the time to go through all of it on this uh, on this podcast. We're already reaching a point to where we should be ending within the next 20 or 30 minutes. And um, frankly speaking, it is a long video. But the reason why I bring up this video and also City of Heroes is it's kind of related, right? We're, we're having a discussion on what is the legality in keeping a priorly shut down or previously shut down server running, right? Now, there's no standard, right? That's my big issue here. There's no standard, as Ross points out in his video, what games are shut down and what games aren't shut down. Sometimes one is, sometimes one isn't. And there isn't any particular criteria that makes one preserved and one not. What it all comes down to is the publisher. If the publisher or developer allows to, you know, let you have a sanctioned, if you will, server, you can do it. Star Wars Galaxies, the emulator, is a sanctioned emulator. Um, Project 1999, according to Daybreak, is a sanctioned server. So some of these servers actually do exist in a semi-professional, semi-official capacity. Semi. I say semi because it's technically official, but it's not really official. Now, City of Heroes is a particularly interesting case for me because it was a game that was actually doing well before it was shut down. So although people like Limpos will try and make the argument that it's just because it's free to play right now that people are interested, they were interested before. The game had 300,000 uh, players playing the game. It was making money. In fact, it was making a decent amount of money for America. So actually, I think it's not a case that you can make the argument that free to play is the only reason why people were trying it. It's that people wanted to pay. They actually wanted to pay to keep playing the game. But NCSoft was like, nah, we're going to shut it down. And so the, the fans are like, okay, we'll sign a 20, 30,000 person um, petition to at least let somebody else buy it. Well, no. Wait a minute. Why? You guys said that you would be willing to allow someone else to at least have the talk if, if they could purchase the IP. Uh, we don't want anybody else to have the IP. So the game's going to die then? Mm, yeah. Pretty much. The game's dead. That's what NCSoft essentially said. Yeah, the game's dead. And so all of these fans who are spending money already, and the game was already making money, are like, okay, I don't think we've ever had a scenario where we couldn't keep giving money to people. So what do we do here exactly? And so obviously there's you know a legal argument that, well, ultimately speaking, there's nothing you can do. Once they shut down the original servers and they uh, shut down any chance of a new server popping up, well, the game is officially dead. Ross, however, in this uh, Accursed uh, Farms video, points out that maybe you do have a legal reason. They promised to have a working game. An online game can't work if it's shut down, like the server infrastructure is shut down. Not to mention, you can't just put it in a museum if you're trying to preserve it as art, right? Why can't you put City of Heroes in a museum? Why can't you put any MMO in a museum? Well because it needs the server infrastructure. So in order to keep this game alive, which by the way, is something that is uh, supported in other cases, other games are kept alive. They are kept alive particularly for museum reasons, right? So you can actually preserve that art. So you can share that art. So you can show people about that art, right? Because video games are art. There's no question about it. But how do you show off an MMO if it has no online servers? You can't. And so the fear, hit, uh, sorry, the fear is here for many people. 
if this private server doesn't work for City of Heroes, it means that we will never be able to play City of Heroes in any official context without it being essentially shut down eventually. And so this has had me pretty interested in this whole kind of like topic, really, because it's like at this point, I've kind of come to the conclusion that the only way we're going to get publishers willing to allow us to do such a thing is if we set a precedent. And the only way I think we can set a precedent is litigation. I, I think we actually might need to do something about this. We might need some sort of law passed. We might need to, as people have been trying to do, meet with whoever's in charge and, and try and get at least dialogue opened about this. Because clearly, these MMOs are going to die eventually. And if people are willing to forego making money and also upfront pay the cost to host these servers, why not let them? They're not making money. If you allow them to only keep the servers running and not make any money, that's at least a place to start, right? But here's where I kind of um, divorce myself from maybe more typical views on the subject. I personally think that running a game, aka a community like keeping the game running, is as difficult, if not more difficult, than actually developing the game. The only caveat is the money required, because developing a game costs way more money than keeping it running. That being said, keeping it running is a skill in itself. And ironically, communities in many, many, many different MMOs, guys, have proven that they are better suited to keeping communities run than, guess what? The developers and publishers themselves, okay? So now that we've established that, that there is a precedent and there is communities in which they do run their servers just fine, not, not a whole lot of problems. In fact, they run it better than they were originally run. Now we beg the question, well, if they do a better job than the original developers did at running the game, why can't we pay them? Why can't we provide them some sort of money? I want to support them. If somebody decides to make a Star Wars Galaxies emulator, or somebody decides to make a, um, in this case, a City of Heroes emulator or a City of Heroes server, and I want to pay money so I can have a great server infrastructure to play on, let me. Let me spend money. It's my money. It's my money. It's going to the server costs, right? But there are some problems there. Maybe you can't necessarily trust where the money's going. People bring up the example of the recent mod team who's working on the Skyrim multiplayer who kind of like apparently stole some source code. And then, you know, there's the whole drama of they said they, did, they don't have to put out a product, but they're taking everybody's money on Patreon. I'm not trying to say that there isn't negatives that come with such a thing. But my point is, is if a company, in this case, the community, is running a private server and running it without a hitch, why can't I give them money? Why, why are they not worthy of being paid? I think they're being I think they're worthy of being paid. If you want a private server to become something more than just a private server which has no future, you kind of have to make that switch. You see what I'm saying here? Because if not, if you guys and I'm speaking to you the community, if you guys are okay with playing classic servers, and when I mean a classic server, I mean as originally intended by the classic version of the game, whatever version of that game it is, it's probably agreed upon 1.12, 1. whatever. If you make a classic version of a game and you've got it running on a private server, where is the longevity in that? 
Where's the longevity? Playing the same game that people already got bored of. And yeah, sure, they maybe they won't get bored this time, or maybe they'll have at least a couple more dozen hours of gameplay to enjoy. But after that point, then what? Then what? Just keep it running? Okay, that's one way to do it. In fact, right now, if at least we could keep the MMOs running in some type of, you know, unofficial capacity, I consider that a victory. But what I really want to see is if a developer is not willing to stick by their game and the community is, I would like the community to have the ability to not only monetize, but create more content. I mean, why not? It's like a mod team. Mod teams have designed better modules and better storylines than many developers have. So why not in this case, like with City of Heroes, the guys got the game to work. They got the code working. Why not let them then monetize? Why not let them then make... I, I think you can't say that, Limpos. There is no evidence to state that it's never going to happen. Because I will promise you right now, changes will happen, and they're going to force them to happen by litigation. Because right now, publishers actually have very, very little rights in this regard. And, and the only reason why they're getting away with it is because there isn't any law. That's why there isn't any law. I mean, uh, Ross raised this in this video. Because there isn't any laws right now, and because there isn't any precedent right now, it's sort of like a mixed bag. Some developers and publishers let you keep a server up. Some don't. Why and why not? This is something that can be raised to a court. Right? You can bring, well, how come Project 1999 can do it, but I can't do it? What's the difference here? Right? Whenever you're trying to establish a legal precedent, you have to show that there's inconsistencies. right? And that's pretty inconsistent if some can do it and some can't. And I saw that you mentioned the point of um, it's a, a loss of uh, cause on IPs. An IP actually has to be constantly protected. It cannot just sit there on the shelf. It can't. Legally, you have to protect an IP. The way that people are getting away with it, though, is that these companies who are coming up and doing these private servers, they get DMCA. They don't have the money nor the resources to fight Blizzard or, or whoever they're trying to fight, right? They don't have any... Re they, they cannot fight. It's not a fight they can win. So they're not even willing to have the fight. But what if somebody is? What if they bring up a good case? For example, City of Heroes... If it's an IP that is no longer existing, no longer being leveraged, is it intellectual property anymore? No, because you don't keep a trademark nor intellectual property for the entirety of, you know, the rest of the universe. It doesn't work that way. It only works if you're actually using the IP and you're actually protecting it on a daily basis. So in the case of City of Heroes, I feel like they have an amazing case to bring this to the court and say, hey, look, they're not protecting this IP. They're not even enforcing it, mostly. In fact, they're not even using the IP anymore. Why can't we have a license to at least host the server? I think that's a pretty good um that's a pretty good thing to ask, right? That's a pretty good argument. Now, the reason why I haven't mentioned this server before is because people keep saying that, well, guys, they're in talks right now. Like they're in talks with NCSoft. It's all good. Right? The official report came out on Massively OP that the team, Titan Network, who's working on the private server or rogue server, whatever you'd like to call it, they're in talks, guys. They're in talks with, uh, with good old uh, NCSoft, right? Doesn't that mean positive things? 
No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't because, first off, they've already been in talks with them for a number of years. This has already been admitted. So talks doesn't mean a whole lot. And second off, talks with NCSoft probably goes like this. Hey, we were wondering, blah, blah, blah. Okay, you can speak to one of our reps. That's probably how it went. You know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't like they called up, like, the CEO on the phone and were like, hey, we should get this private server going. No, it doesn't work that way. They talked to some lowly, you know, I don't know, employee-level employee. And he was like, eh, you know, I'll, I'll let you talk to my rep or whatever. Like, okay. But they're not really in talks, right? Yeah, talks are what the IP holder tells you what will happen. That's a good point. That's what talks are all about. Um, because they keep running the servers, I think they're playing a dangerous game of chicken here. That's what I think. I think Titan Network is trying to play a game of chicken. Their bet is that if we keep increasing the demand, sorry, the demand's already there. If we keep increasing the supply, provide more servers, um, provide good service to these people, I think they're banking on one thing in particular. They're banking on either NCSoft being like, you know what, shit, maybe we can monetize this. So let's monetize it. They're banking on that, which is, I mean, kind of unlikely considering they already shut it down because it wasn't successful in Korea. What if they're also uh, banking on the fact that they're going to play chicken to see if they're going to make any decision, period, about it? And maybe they just hope they can keep going on status quo. Am I convinced that's going to happen? Not at all. I think that NCSoft will absolutely say something. And um, I don't mean to burst everybody's bubble because I know I've sounded pretty optimistic here. Um, I'm optimistic about the future. When I, when I have the discussion that I'm having with Limpos, I'm talking about the future. I'm not talking about right now because right now, he's right. Is it going to happen? Probably not. Is NCSoft going to, yeah, let's do it, open arms? No, they shut the game down when it was making money. How many times do I have to say this? They shut the game down when it was already making money. It was making money. It was positive. In any conceivable fashion, it could have continued to go on. But why didn't it? I pointed this out in my video. NCSoft cares about one thing and one thing only. Money in the Korean market. That's all they care about. I don't give a shit about City of Heroes. They didn't then. They proved that. It only was existing for like, what, at that time, five to seven years? It wasn't even around for like an abnormal amount of time. I just think that NCSoft only cares about what they can see in front of their nose, which is Korea, basically. Oh, no, absolutely, Limpos. They have to legally show that they're trying to work with the IP holder. You're absolutely right. He made the point that there is a point to keep talks going, even if it's just kind of like, is it anything get, getting done? No. Right now, Titan Network and the team that's working on this private server, which, by the way, thank you guys for having not only the audacity to do such a thing, but I know you guys have gotten a lot of shit because you kept it a secret. And I don't know how, uh, how I feel about that 100% yet. Honestly, I don't really trust the company itself, Titan Network. I don't, I'll be honest. Like someone who's willing to keep it a secret like that for a while. I mean, it, it almost seemed like you guys were totally willing to just live in a fantasy world. If I have to be honest here, I'm sorry if that sounds offensive, but living in a fantasy world to me is covertly operating a private server. That's a fantasy world because what's the future of such a thing? There is no future. The future is you get squashed like a little bug. So I'm actually glad that the guy leaked it. I'm glad because now change is going to be forced to happen and maybe it won't end well now, 
But I think we've seen a lot of cracks in the armor. We're starting to realize that even on a legal perspective, people are starting to debate against if you can shut down these servers or not. And um, I think that's very interesting. And I hope to see more things like that unfolding. Because let me just take the time here to move into a soapbox. I know I've been pretty soapboxy today anyway. Um, but let's just go ahead and make the full transition. Look, guys. My favorite type of game in this world. MMOs are my favorite kind of game. They always have been since I was seven years old. And they probably always will be. Just because of it's basically an RPG on a massive scale. <laughs> it's hard to beat that for me personally. I, I love role play. I love role playing games. I love player versus player. I love player versus environment. I love a world, a virtual world. I love all of that sort of stuff. So MMOs are my favorite kind of genre, my favorite kind of game. Do you guys think that I, I relish in the fact that the last thing you'll see about these games is on my YouTube channel? Do you guys think that I relish in the fact that the only way to ever experience these videos and, and these different games that I put out, uh, videos on games that I put out, is maybe some haphazardly put together private server that doesn't really even work? It's like... I want these MMOs to continue to be around. And I'm not really seeing a legal reason nor a good logical reason as to why they can't be around. In fact, I think it's becoming more and more apparent that we're leaning in the other direction. That maybe we actually should preserve these things. Because it's very sad to me to think that there's certain emulators out there that people won't even try because they're just not sure about it, right? People are unsure. Is playing on a private server illegal? That's why some people don't play on it. I know I have conversations with people every day about this stuff. They always ask me, oh, hey, if I want to play Star Wars Galaxies, can I play on the emu? I'm like, absolutely, you can play on the emulator. I'm one of their biggest advertisers. That being said, is it going to be anything past that point? We don't know yet. It, the, the future is uncertain. And the reason why these private servers can't even add new content past a certain point, again, I'm talking about like the, the ones that try for a classic experience, is they don't have the resources. They don't have the okay from the developers or the publishers. And frankly speaking, they're operating on borrowed time. Many of these private servers are operating on borrowed time. And um, that's why it's really interesting to see WoW Classic unfold for me. Because private servers have been dominating the WoW space for some time now. In fact, I would probably say that WoW has some of the most successful private servers. And why is that? Again, the question to ask is why does it work? Now, in the case of uh, playing on Northdale, the classic private server for WoW, um, it's probably due in part because it's free, right? In WoW's case, it was a game that you had to pay for before. And so a lot of um, people from other regions who maybe don't get paid enough money on a monthly basis or maybe just never had the chance to play, they get a chance to play the game. But when they, sorry, when they announce WoW in an official format, how is that going to work, you know? What's the future of that? There's so many different questions that arise whenever you think about the longevity of an MMO and, and really if we should be allowed to keep them alive and keep them running. We will see. I'm not very optimistic that uh, the City of Heroes server is going to properly work out. or I don't know what's, what's the story 
um sorry how the story is going to end up folding out i i don't know i really don't and i don't know i just i hope it i hope it uh turns out well i guess i'm just not so optimistic because like i said sometimes it takes a couple of casualties before we realize that change needs to happen and in this case i kind of think city of heroes might end up being a casualty again but it's a casualty that teaches us a very important lesson. And so hopefully we learn something from this as a community and we can start shouting at these publishers. We are not okay with you bringing the servers down if you're not going to let us bring one up ourselves. So um, I don't know. We'll see how this all unfolds, really. Interesting. On one hand, I completely agree with you about borrowed time. On the other, I'm just glad to give it a go to see what the whole hype was behind it. And and that's the thing is, is like, I, I sit on the fence. I know like with private servers, I'm a fence sitter. I, I have to admit it. Like, I don't like fence sitting, but I'm a fence sitter. I like it because it's, it's the chance for people to experience the games that I love waxing poetic about on my channel and the ones that I like pointing out maybe like particular flaws. In, in fact, many of the games that I cover on my channel don't even fail because of the game itself. They fail because of other big reasons outside of the game. Ironically, these are the ones that still have successful private servers. Star Wars Galaxies, for example. WoW Classic, for, ex for example. City of Heroes, right? These different games that had like functioning and actually successful original games that never really failed. They just stopped being what they were. And that's because the single most unique aspect about an MMO is what? I, I want to hear it from you guys. What, what is it? What is the single most unique aspect of an MMO that all of you guys would echo or that you would think of or the first thing that comes to mind. I feel like this is almost so easy that people will overlook it. What makes an MMO different than a regular RPG game? Everyone is pretty much echoing the exact reason, right? I was going to say it's living. But you guys basically said some version of that. My, my point is... is an MMO, the most important aspect of it is it's living, right? So it's constantly living. It changes. It's not like, um, I don't know, when you launch a single player game, besides maybe if you do content updates or expansions, give or take after a certain patch point, they don't change it anymore. Why? Because I don't keep making money from it. So sometimes, well, I mean, there's some cases where this is different. Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines has tons of community patches. They didn't make any money. They just love the game so much. Great game, by the way. If you guys don't already know that, I love that game. <laughs> but it's living, right? An MMO is living. That's the most important part about it. That means that it will change. It has to. It has to undergo change in order to live. We as human beings have to undergo change in order to keep living, right? We don't just stay the same way that we were when we were born. No, we change. We learn languages. We we learn social things. We... we um. Learn a craft or whatever else, right? We're learning. We're, we're, we're living. It, MMOs are living. So they have to change in some way, shape, or form. And it's a weird example of a case where a game developer can actually affect the world that maybe they originally weren't able to affect in a non-online environment. So what I mean by that is that maybe in the past, you wanted to change something in the game, but you were like, eh, it's not really living. So, I mean, yeah, people kind of like, they'll get over it, right? Not in an MMO. <laughs> People will find that particular thing that was bugged and they'll keep exploiting it until you fix it, right? 
and you can't let them exploit it because it'll ruin the economy. So you have to constantly be updating a live game live, right? It's a constant process of development. That's why it's so hard to make these damn games. Sure, it's the money. Sure, it's the stakes. And sure, it's the time. But it's also that you have to keep implementing more things into this game to keep it running. And so I bring this up because this is a reason why these games are very much in danger of being lost. Because as games as a service becomes more and more prevalent, that means that we have always online DRM. That means that we, you know, when I say we, I mean the publishers actually in this case, a publisher can just shut down a, games, uh, a game that's a service. It gets no more updates. It's no longer a living multiplayer world. It's dead. And so in regards to MMOs, they are always living. They have to be, right? When they're no longer constantly changing and growing, they're kind of just like existing. Like they're barely living. They're surviving, I would say. The difference between living and surviving, surviving, you're just waiting until it like kind of runs out, right? Many private servers and many MMO servers are just surviving. But how do we make them living again? In order to make them living, well, first off, we have to realize that although looking at the past and learning from classic MMOs and classic servers is great, that's not the future. I mean, let me say that again. Looking at classic games and classic MMOs and playing on all of these emulators and private servers, it's great. It's an awesome way to experience history, culture, you know, these different games that maybe you never had the chance to experience, all of these different great things. But it is not, however, the future. The future is that direction. It's forward, right? Like, or this direction is technically my forward. Um, we need to keep moving forward if we're going to get to some point that's supposed to be better than where we're at now, right? And so I think it's important to remember that when we look at classic games and classic servers, I look at them for inspiration. And I absolutely think you can definitely get a lot of enjoyment out of them. I, however, don't look at them as living. They're just surviving. So if it seems like I'm not like all in on private servers, I'd probably say that's why I'm a little bit of a fence sitter. I want private servers to work. I want them to function. But I don't want that to then replace the new content, if that makes sense. I don't want the, what's behind us to then, to then be our future. Unless it means kind of like classic WoW, where... We're taking something from uh, the past and then we're trying to like port it over to the future. I'm okay with something like that because you're, you need to look at those that came before in order to learn, right? I guess I just don't really see the private servers ultimately as um, they don't have a whole lot of longevity until things change in the marketplace. I think that basically sums up, sums up my thoughts on private servers and also the City of Heroes private server. So are you saying that it might not be good because it would compete with what is new and improving? Uh, I mean, no, not at all. In fact, I'd say that's the opposite of what I'm saying. My argument is that a surviving MMO, right? An MMO that isn't really introducing new mechanics, isn't introducing new um, content, isn't really changing or growing in any way. A surviving MMO, a.k.a. a private server MMO, a.k.a. A, an old school MMO that isn't being currently updated, it's great for what it is, but it's flawed. It's not the future. It was flawed then. It's still flawed now. 
my main point is is we can look at those games and learn from them, but we can't replace them with the future. So I don't want to hear people saying, hey, we don't need new MMOs, guys. We'll just play City of Heroes and and um, uh, Project 1999. No, no. That's not a good thing. <laughs> like, Do you guys realize that? It's not a good thing if you're foregoing playing current content just to play classic content. All it means or points out is that there's a problem. There's a problem in today's current marketplace to where people are more willing to go to classic old games than the new games. So really, Limpos, the point that I'm making is like, if we keep going to the classic games, that means that we're not going to get any new games. And if the new games don't learn from the classic games, we're going to keep stagnating. Now, let me be the first to say I might have sounded a little bit pessimistic at times, but I'm damn optimistic about the future. Because first off, whether I like it or not, I'm in the long haul. Meaning... MMOs, whether or not I cover them on my channel or, or I die tomorrow, whatever it is, I'm, MMOs are always going to be my favorite. I can't change that now. It's a little bit too late for that. That being said, it obviously got to a point to where we had um, the age of EverQuest. We had the age of Star Wars Galaxies. We had the age of WoW. We had the age of cl- uh, WoW clones, right? That was a pretty big age. That was like from like, shit, 2008 all the way to 2011. And then we had the the Eastern MMOs come over. That's 2012 to like 2016, 2017. And now we're back at this place where we're like, okay, no new Eastern games are coming over. That's really, you know, changing our mind about anything. It's kind of more of the same. The current games that are existing are also the biggest games, aka they're the only ones that can afford to keep existing. Well, I'm talking about the big four. WoW, Guild Wars, Final Fantasy and um black desert um oh sorry elder scrolls as well so five let's say five exactly the question is on boo what now do we keep playing these games that are currently existing maybe if we have nothing else to play do we play the classic games until the new games come out maybe that's kind of where we stand right now but what, the reason why i'm optimistic is that this means that we finally reached a point where we must grow right either we will grow or we're just going to like basically fold, right? And I am of the belief that the MMO genre will never fail. And, and I mean the genre itself will never fail. And the reason why I'm of that belief is that I believe that massive multiplayer online games are the future. I, I, I truly believe that and I've always believed that since I was a young kid. I would think of um, the idea of virtual reality, augmented reality. You're telling me MMOs aren't the prime place to have such a thing? <laughs> oh god <laughs> gotta know when to hold them people don't know that i'm from the south and uh, i got a pretty good southern accent so yeah i can i can get down with the conconas whenever i need to i just don't typically strike people in that way so whenever you're wondering why i pronounce things in a certain way it's because i'm from the south <laughs> not the south the south But but how can MMOs be your favorite if you're dead? I mean, they were still my favorite before I died. So, I mean, technically in that case, as an idea, I didn't change my mind just because I died, right? <laughs> I will not touch VR or AR ever. You will soon enough. I bet you you'll eat those words soon enough. Sorry, when I say soon enough, I mean like in 10 years. <laughs>
I'm from Texas. I'm from Houston. I will remain a keyboard and mouse dinosaur. As you just mentioned, VR, are you excited for the Valve Index announcements coming up this week? Nothing in regards to VR right now excites me. Sorry, let, let me rephrase that. Nothing in regards to news about VR or AR excites me right now. Why is that? Because when I was at E3 and I was on the floor looking at all of these like supposed VR games, guys, we are a long way off of those being any good, okay? And in an MMO format, we are years away. So when I talk about VR being the future, I should specify, I mean the distant future, not anytime soon. Um, but I just think that it's a natural thing. It's a natural, like, m call me biased from watching all of these sci-fi movies and, and whatever else, but I just feel like it's a natural progression to eventually try and make the massive multiplayer online stuff of the world and put that into a game where you can load in, be the character you want to be, act how you want to act. That, that, you know, that world has its own rules and regulations and, and fun aspects, and maybe it's a fantasy world, maybe it's a sci-fi world, etc. AR exists in form of apps already. There's leveling apps that just let you do regular stuff. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. Gimme mechs or gimme doom. I mean, I would love a VR mech game. I mean, who wouldn't? Like, at this point, if somebody says they don't want a VR game in some capacity... I think it's just because they haven't been convinced it could work yet. <laughs> Maybe I've seen too, too much sci-fi. <laughs> All right, I think I've finally reached a point where I'm probably near the end of the podcast. So I'm going to go ahead and switch it over to uh, a call-in segment. Um, I don't have enough time to go over any call-in questions today. So sorry if you guys were waiting. Bye. Um, and thank you, Zila, for waiting in the podcast lobby. Um, if you could actually at me or Zila right now, or Ludens, really any of the mod team, any of the podcast team in uh, Twitch chat right now. At us, we will answer your question, or at least I will answer your question. They will get your question to me. And um, I would say within the next seven to eight minutes or so uh, to give you guys at least, nah, I'll give you guys 10 minutes. 10 minutes to ask any kind of questions you want to ask about any sort of topic. And if I wasn't clear about anything that I said earlier, sometimes whenever I rant without any sort of notes, which, by the way, I enjoy doing. That's actually one of my favorite things to do in the world is just brainstorm and talk about things out loud. It's that I don't get to do it a whole lot because my content is very produced. It's very manufactured. It's very researched. It's, it's all about being like contained stories, you know? And, and whenever I do live streams, I don't want it to always be like I need to show up with 16 journals of work. So sometimes people ask me in, in the comments, why don't you show up with like all this research? It's, that's not the intention, guys. I don't want to be that, that way all the time, okay? I know it might be fun to act like people enjoy being that way all the time, but no, not everybody always enjoys being the detective on duty. I only like to put on my detective hat whenever I'm you know, working particular mysteries. <laughs> Thank you, One More Life, for uh, your second month resubscribing with Twitch Prime. Welcome to the Nor Club. Half the stream was a soapbox segment. No, you're you're right. You're right, Ludens. I'm guilty for that. Half the stream was a soapbox segment. Or segment, sorry. Absolutely. 
Okay, I'm going to scroll up here. Let's see what we've got in terms of questions. Will you give the City of Heroes server a go at all? At least just to check it out? When the dust has settled? Absolutely. Right now, not only do I not see a reason, I actually think it's dangerous for me to try. You might ask, why is that? You don't have to stream or make a video. Yeah, but I kind of make content for a living now. <laughs> kind of have to make videos. Kind of have to stream about things. Otherwise, I'm just playing games for the sake of it. So although, you know, I do plenty of playing games for the sake of it, I kind of have to make content. And I'm afraid with the City of Heroes private server, just as I'm afraid with Halo Online, I'm afraid of legal action. I'm afraid of them DMCAing me. I'm afraid of them trying to shut down things. You might ask why. Well, I mean, NCSoft has a reason. It's their IP, and they haven't explicitly stated that the server is okay so far. So until that part gets ironed out, I'll get involved, absolutely. I'll do a video on it. Maybe I'll even do a um, MMO lab on it. But as it stands right now, I just, I don't, I don't really know if it's worth, you know, getting involved in yet. It's, there's too many what ifs. And frankly speaking, I don't just want to make a character if I'm only going to play them for a couple of minutes and then just like delete them. You know what I mean? I'd like to create a character and take the time to show, uh, sorry, slowly show everybody why City of Heroes was so fondly remembered and why Although it's not my favorite game, I barely even like superhero games, period. I can still enjoy it. That's what I hope to show to people. Um, character customization is probably the easiest way to show that. <laughs> is that concept just done? I mean, technically speaking, uh, Limpos, I can't keep the, con uh, the, the podcast going forever. Not to mention, at any point during the podcast, people can request uh, Zila to or 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 card whoever's working the floor that you have a question that you'd like to ask us in voice it's just that oftentimes um people wait until the very end to ask a question and uh, i mean i gotta leave at some point i'm not gonna stay here forever and answer questions <laughs> so, so in the future if you guys would like to ask me a voice question it's better to get it in earlier than later the, the later you wait the more likely i'm just going to answer a text question if that makes sense. Because I just don't have enough time, right? Because, you know, I look at people like uh, Ulysses. He likes to ask questions. But if you notice, he only asks a question on, on stream when he knows he has the time to ask the question. And that's because, as him and I know, it's, gonna, it's not just five minutes. Sometimes we go 15, 20, 30 on a particular subject. And it's awesome and great, but not when I'm streaming for hours and hours on end <laughs> you know what i mean like i have to protect myself in some sort of way what do you think the reason is for why we don't see more player-made content systems like the chronicler from star wars galaxies added to today's mmos wouldn't it or wouldn't something like this help alleviate pressure from developers to push out content so often you know what, Burrito? I think, I think the easiest answer for that is lack of imagination. That's the easiest answer. I think a lot of these developers, and more so publishers, are only interested in kind of what already works. And so maybe they don't know about some obscure system chronicler from Star Wars Galaxies like I do. You know what I mean? Like maybe they're not aware of such a system. Because I don't, I don't want you guys to get me caught into ranting too crazy here. But let me just say that... um. I used to think that things weren't implemented because they didn't work. That's how, I, that's how naive I used to be as a youngin. I'd be like, oh, they don't put Chronicler because it doesn't work. 
That's not why. They don't think it's going to make them money. They don't see it as a good thing to do. I can promise you right now, the first main publisher to figure out that sandbox games are very sustainable when compared to a theme park game, that developer or that publisher is going to strike gold. They're going to strike gold, dude. If somebody like Respawn comes in, who's pretty good at designing systems, if they came in and had the knowledge and experience in order to create great MMO systems, why would we need Theme Park as the main source of content anymore? You wouldn't. Naturally, it shouldn't be the main source of content. In fact, Theme Park content, in my eyes, should be added bonus. It should be like, awesome, I get to do a quest line. Awesome, I get to do some, you know, whatever like type of Theme Park content it is. That, to me, is bonus. If you design a game, though, based on it being more so sustainable, which by nature is a sandbox game, I think that it's going to make more money in the long term. And also, it's going to have way more longevity. So I guess if I could answer your question, I think part of the reason why people don't adopt such a, a system such as crafting from Star Wars Galaxies or the Chronicler is A, they don't have the imagination nor experience for it. B, they don't have a whole lot of MMO experience, period, when developing MMOs. You might find that weird to admit, but if you look at many of the main developers who work on current MMOs, you'll find that a lot of them kind of have only worked on that sort of MMO. They've never really worked on previous games. Um, there's only a couple exceptions here. People like um, the Matt Fuhrer, the, uh, the lead developer for, for ZeniMax Online. He leads uh, ESO. That guy worked for Dark Age of Camelot, so he doesn't really have the excuse to be like, well... I didn't know. He knew. That's why he also apologized for it. He apologized that he didn't do a more ambitious project, but he said that because it was his first project at the team at Zenimax, he didn't want to do something out there, according to ESO. Again, that's hearsay, because although a developer is admitting this to us, we don't know for sure if it's true. We don't know for sure. So I think it's, to, to, again, to go over what I said, lack of imagination Lack of understanding that it's a viable strategy and it can also make them money. Lack of understanding that non-sustainable content hurts you in the long run anyway. I mean, look at the problem that WoW is having now. WoW is having a lot of trouble. I, I know it's hard to see that and it's hard to imagine that, but they will continue to have a lot of trouble due to the way that their business model is designed. They're one of the few subscription-based MMOs existing. If they can no longer make people willing to buy the next, the, sorry, the next expansion and pay a sub fee in trouble, right? But I think new school developers need to look at old school games and see what they did right, but also pay attention to what they did wrong. That's a bit what has me afraid of some of these spiritual successor games that are coming out on Kickstarter or supposed to come out on Kickstarter is that many of them say, oh, we're going to be Ultima Online 2.0. We're going to be this game 2.0. It's like, guys, I don't know if we want those games 2.0. We might want them at this point being that it's like 18 years old, 18.0. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe every year a new edition. My point is, is like Legends of Aria was a perfect example of this. It was a game that was trying to be like classic UO, except in certain ways, it was like purposely classic UO. There wasn't really a design reason to be that way. You see what I'm saying? So it's like you can learn from the classic games, but don't just copy them one-to-one. -one. I mean, obviously, they have flaws. I mean, <laughs> that seems pretty self-explanatory to me. 
So maybe you don't want to be the spiritual successor in the sense of being a one-to-one successor, but maybe you'll be like the spiritual successor with some new additions, I guess I would say. What do you think about in-game politics leaking into uh, real life? Hmm. So when you say in-game politics, can you kind of um, explain what you mean by that, Rafnar? Um, do you mean like in the case of in-game politics as in, um, say, for example, that recent uh, lobbyist who got reported? That, like, are you, ta- are you talking about something like that? Sorry, like I'm not, I'm not 100% sure what some clarification what i will say though to uh, address the whole politics thing and this is actually something that i've gotten a, a bit of um random like okay so let's start this off for those um who follow my channel and follow it pretty uh regularly meaning you get my updates hopefully you've got that bell pressed or whatever else you know that i recently put out a hawken death of a game which we didn't even go over today. I feel like I need to go over that next week. But we also put out a Patreon channel announcement video. And this basically outlined everything that I have planned for the future of the channel. Um, it didn't necessarily say how long I have things planned for, so I'm sure some people got a little bit more worried than they should have. And I didn't really... Exp- like, let me, let me just talk about this video in general. Um, this video was super important for us as a channel and for myself because this was like the first time that I felt like I really did something official where I was really trying to make a particular point and outline sort of like my concerns, my thoughts, and then let everybody know what we have in store for the channel in the future. Now, sorry, whenever Rafnar mentioned the whole politics thing, he actually, funny enough, reminded me of this video. So on this video in particular, um, I got a, a, like a couple posts, like I would say at least a dozen different YouTubers or YouTube comments, sorry, from random people. And many of them were concerning... Um, Many of them were concerning the whole uh, topic of e-begging. And so, forgive my ignorance here, but can somebody explain to me what e-begging is? Because multiple people kept saying e-begging in the video, and then whenever I would block their comment because they wouldn't explain what e-begging would mean, they said that I was blocking the comment because I didn't want negative, uh, I didn't want negative feedback. When I was like, no, I, I, just, I just want somebody to explain what, e-begging means anybody can can anybody explain to me what e-begging means because i was having a lot of trouble with this people kept saying uh like sorry these 10 dudes or who i don't know who these people are i don't even think they watch my videos to be honest but they kept saying um okay so b ray roll asks or sorry says that he believes it means not wanting a real job and asking for money online for no good reason Viewed as censoring, it's a private forum, though. My channel is not public. It's, it's private. If you post and you're an idiot and you break the rules, you will be banned. Actually, let me, let me tell you guys here first. If any of you break the rules, which are clearly outlined on the Discord, you will be banned. If you want to get unbanned, you can talk to one of the moderators, tell them why you got banned, uh, or ask why you got banned, and maybe they'll actually like explain to you, go through the process, but nobody does that. Nobody actually comes back and asks, or sorry, asks to be unbanned. 
I wonder why that is. It's almost as if they thought that they were maybe justly banned. Or maybe they didn't think it was that big of an issue. We, we do let people, um, I guess I would say, apply to be unbanned, but nobody really comes. So it's kind of like if you break the rules and then you don't even challenge your own ban, why would I care if you get banned? I don't care at all. <laughs> it means nothing to me, right? Um, so anyway, people brought up this point um, of e-begging and saying the wanting a real job. So this is something that I don't think any of you guys have mentioned to me before. So let me first get that out of the way. I'm not trying to preach to you guys. I wanted to make a particular point regarding the way that I handled Patreon and the way that other people handle Patreon. First off, I on my channel have always been transparent with how much money I make. For example, you guys can go to a wonderful website called Social Blade and you can see over the past 30 days how much money I made. Is it 100% accurate? No, I would say it's probably like, if it is accurate, it's maybe 10 to 15% off. So it's a little bit less than what it shows. Because primarily, it's just going off the last 30 days, which isn't how I get paid. I get paid off of a cycle, which is not the last 30 days. It's the particular 30 days of a month within a certain... Anyway, it's, it's super convoluted and, and, and confusing. Point being is, this is all public record. You can see every month how much money I make, right? It, it tells you exactly how it comes up with the amount, and you can kind of use your own amount. For example, here's an easy amount for you guys to use in the future. 0.3 cents. That's how much I make on a view. So 0.3 cents on a million views is $3,000, right? So all I have to do is just keep getting, three th or keep getting a million views, right? And I can make enough to survive off of. Well, not necessarily, right? Because let's say I make $3,000 off of my YouTube channel. Do you guys think that I make $3,000 and I just pocket $3,000? I'm sure nobody thinks that, right? Let's say I pay for my cost of living, which is at least half. Okay. And now I pay for what I pay my editor. So now whatever I had left over doesn't seem like so much money anymore. And so you might start to wonder, okay, well then why does this uh, apply to me? Well, this is currently the kind of content that I put out with my current um, uh, resources, right? So we put out two death of a games a month. Every now and then, an odd video. Every now and then, we have four podcasts a month, of course. And that's why we planned on doing more content. Because I realized, well, Tom doesn't even work for me full-time. So in order to get him to work for me full-time, I need to pay him double this amount. Right? I need to pay him double this amount. If I can pay him double this amount, then he can work for me full-time. So the reason why I'm taking the time, even just a couple of minutes, to explain this to you guys is that there's one thing that was mentioned and it's one thing that you will always see me vehemently be against. And it's the idea that I'm asking for more than I need or, or asking for extra. It was like, I don't know, like I saw a couple people mention this and I feel like they're just, they don't think about things rationally. First off, they don't understand that it's public record to see how much money I make. Second off, they can also see that with the amount of content that I have currently planned, I wouldn't be able to afford it with how much money I make right now. And let's say I magically made triple what I made because I made more videos. I mean, does it work that way? Do you just make more videos and you make triple the income? No, it doesn't work that way. So my idea was, why don't I design 
a Patreon that shows everybody exactly what I have planned for the channel. That way, they know how much money is being given to me, how many patrons I have, what my goals are, how they're being achieved, right? They know exactly what my goals are. They're outlined clearly so everybody knows what to expect. And at that point, my philosophy is, if you can, then you provide something to me. If not, then are you guys telling me that money is the only way you can support somebody? No. And this was never created as a video of me being like, you can only give... Because I saw a couple comments where people were like, I can't really give you money, man. Sorry. It's like, why are you sorry? Like, why are you apologizing that you can't give me money? I don't apologize when I can't give people money. <laughs> you know what I do? I find a way to help them in some other way. How do you help somebody when you don't pay? Well, you support them. How do you support somebody without paying them? You talk to them. Like their videos. You spread their content. You put it on uh, other Twitch, you know, you, you show other Twitch streamers about my stream. You talk to me to other YouTubers. You tell your friends about me. Word of mouth. On Reddit. In an MMO. There's so many ways that you can support me that don't require you to give me money. So please, I know Limpos is annoyed that I even would have to bring this up. And I think he's very much right that I shouldn't have to bring it up. He has a good point. But I just wanted to bring that up to you guys. To Look, I never expect all of you guys to give me money. Okay, I don't make a whole lot of money myself. That's why I'm in the position to ask for more resources. And that's why I wanted to do it on Patreon. right? So I could make it as official as I possibly could. However, if you don't have money, that doesn't mean that, you, first off, you're a bad person. And second off, it doesn't mean that you're doomed and you can't support people that you enjoy. There's many ways to support people that you enjoy. And there's many different ways to support your favorite uh, content creators. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Because uh, Rafnar, you reminded me of it. You reminded me of it. Because people kept bringing up the whole Patreon and the deep platforming. And this person was kicked off the platform. And this was this. And I will make this abundantly clear right now. I have zero fucking interest in politics. I really do not. I'm not interested in it at all. I do not want politics on my channel, around my channel, anything like associated with it, really. Not right now, okay? Why don't I like that? Because I feel like anytime politics is in introduced into an environment, people stop using their rational brain and it just becomes tribalism and everyone's fighting for a team. When it's like, do I make political content? No. Do I make controversial content? Nah, not really. Not in any rule breaking uh fashion so am i at danger of being deplatformed on patreon no guys and please stop spreading that mass hysteria that's what it is it's mass hysteria to keep telling people that i'm magically going to be kicked off of the platform because i said i don't like a game that's not going to happen okay and if it did i would gladly leave so trust me because i've announced the future of my content it doesn't mean that i'm going to change the kind of content i do now right all i'm going to be doing is introducing better content right whenever i said that i was introducing skits all i meant was just things that are more so meant to be humorous i did not meant to trigger people into thinking that i was going to do angry joe level skits or i don't know um game completionist script uh, uh skits i wasn't going to do 10 minute long uh skits i in hindsight regret not explaining that better but i'll explain it now when i talked about skits literally all i mean 
is a five to 10 second skit like we already do, except it would be live filmed with me in character. That's really the only difference. I think I did a poor job of explaining that. Um, but uh, anyway, I think I, I explained my perspective uh, a little bit better. And I mean, I didn't really see any of you guys taking any issue with it. So I just, um, I wanted to throw that out there. Put it this way, guys. Many political infused people are going to try and join our community and make it about politics. They will. They joined my... Um, if you're wondering why I have to ban so many comments, oftentimes it is because people either just blatantly insult me and then wonder why I ban them. That's always an interesting one. Or it's because they make erroneous claims, won't back up the claim even when asked, and then consider it censoring when I don't want that person to be on my Discord. And I'm actually talking about a particular person. There was somebody who made a video about me. And although I didn't want to go over it, this is a bonus for you guys. Okay? This is a bonus. Did I miss any questions here? Let me make sure I got all of your questions and then I'll cover this. <laughs> Sorry. This is just a bonus to all of those who stuck around and are watching the end of this podcast. Uh, Zila says, um, I feel that e-begging is when people are asking for money without putting in the effort people expect from someone that gets Patreon donations. Yeah, and, and first, let me make the, uh, let me make the distinction. Um, <laughs> Limpas. <laughs> you remind me of, um, I just, wa I got done watching uh, Office, and um, on The Office, I remember whenever Michael Scott goes, no. No, no, no. I didn't know it was about Toby because <laughs> I never saw the show originally. So you just reminded me of Michael Scott just shouting no out of nowhere. Um, but the point that I wanted to make is there is a difference, guys. When I ask for money on Patreon, it's not the same as Clean Prince Gaming asking for money. Now, you might ask, why do you need to bring up Clean Prince Gaming whenever you're talking about such a thing? People don't like when I bring up other content creators. They think that I'm maybe throwing shade. And that's not my intention. My intention is to just really point out a reality here, guys. It's The reality is I do not make popular content. And I don't anymore, especially now that I'm trying to focus on Patreon. The content that I want to focus on is the content that I want you guys to want. The content you guys want and you guys want to enjoy. If, <laughs> if somebody like this asks for Patreon donations... I would be a little bit more kind of um, on the fence, I guess you would say. It's not the same, right? He makes 15000 at least $15,000 from ad revenue alone. $15,000 is a lot of money. I could pay a couple content creators with that kind of money. So yes, if I get to the point, guys, where I have $15,000 in ad revenue and I'm asking for Patreon, then please, please tell me I'm an idiot Please tell me I'm being unfair and call me out on my bullshit because I wouldn't be able to say support me and I can't afford it. No, I, I, I'm making nearly 20 grand, guys. Of course I can, can afford it. <laughs> I'm asking for resources because I don't make popular bucks, because I don't make that big ad revenue like these other dudes make. <laughs> Sorry. It's just hilarious to think about if I was like Clean Prince Gaming and I made 15 grand a month. And I asked for Patreon. I understand it's a little bit different, right? Like, I get it.
how much money do I need to give you to take off that cringy outfit? Um, honestly, it wouldn't be any money. But here's what you could do. You could see me in real life and tell me to do it. Um, how, how much money to get... <laughs> MGPT. How much money to get a private Snapchat? Um, what would you... Like, what would I even... I don't even have a Snapchat. What would I even snap? Pictures of my big feet, I guess. Oh God, no, please, please, nobody ask me for pictures of my feet. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, I forgot. There are foot fetishes out there. Please do not ask me for pictures of my feet. Because I already see the female YouTubers and Twitch streamers get asked that all the time. <laughs> <clears throat> Offer to make banners if you're a graphic artist like me? Hey, I mean you want to send me an email or a message after <laughs> I'm always open to community made art Limpos makes us art all the time not really us more so for himself and his own character a bias man but Limpos someday we're going to turn that into a skit and don't worry you'll get all the credit free advertising pin zero is absolutely the best kind of advertising there's a reason why people like Ludens, Card, Anbu and um, such are my uh, moderators. First off, they always speak well of me whenever they're talking. Like, not, I'm not trying to say they always support me, like as in like I do everything right. But I'm saying whenever they speak to other people and they're involved in other communities, they're always about building the community because all three of those guys are about building community. So they're like, hey, let's build this cool MMO community. And I felt that immediately from people like Ludens, right? He's been here. I mean, he's the oldest moderator, essentially, that I have now. And Card w uh, was the same way as well, you know? I think um, my moderators typically are people who are most interested in creating a community environment. So, like, that's why I really think that what you said about free advertising and word of mouth being the most important is the most important thing. That's why, like, you look at people in the community, and theoretically speaking, they are the people that you would think would be the most likely to want to talk and wax poetic about their communities, right? I'm that way. I want everyone to join our community. So we can keep talking about games and playing MMOs and all that good stuff. <laughs> good thing you have the bestest and goodest, most beautiful moderators. Thank you, Scribble MMO. Uh, I appreciate the bit donation. Don't worry. The fedora is not going anywhere. The fedora is part of a character at this point. Do I like wearing fedoras? No. Does my opinion really matter when I'm playing a character? It doesn't really. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm playing a character, especially whenever we do skits. Um, the NS character, if you will, doesn't talk. He's kind of a mute. So in reality, when you see me, I'm kind of dressed up like him. When you actually see him in a shot, say, for example, the opening shot of the uh, uh, Patreon video, he doesn't talk. He's not a man that says many words. Also, if people were wondering how a skit looks, I'll show you a perfect example of a skit. In hindsight, I wish we would have put this earlier in the video so people could have got the joke. Oops, sorry. <clears throat> you can stop asking. Never take irresponsible dollars. All right, check this part out. It the camera pans to, never take to me looking at the journal. Then I turn around and I look at GameStop in the shot. And then 
I you just like see I me have a podium for this part. but <laughs> i just want to thank everyone though for taking the time to watch this video and joining me on my journey i can't sorry that was one of my favorites content that, we that was one of my favorite guys, shots and i appreciate any and all support and you even get to see fortnite on the cover that's the best part gamestop i'm nodding my head to the side like stop fortnite <laughs> that's the kind of skits that i want to do by the way not a whole lot of talking not a whole lot of thinking just kind of more so subtle Whoops. If people get banned for solid reasons, they should learn. You cover things well and show, show real journalism skills. You can make one hell of a reporter. I'm trying. And I, and I think people like it better when I say I'm a detective. Because frankly speaking, I prefer to be called a detective anyway. Because I like detectives. But also, I think that my particular brand of um, journalism, if you will, is a little bit more... Yeah, there does need to be a gif of that. Sorry, I need to work on that. But um, it's, it's something that I've been learning over time is how to be, I guess, how to look at all sides. That's pretty important when you're doing journalism. But also how to clearly explain when something is my opinion and when it isn't. I think that's been like the biggest revelation I've had recently is, um, is kind of like showing people the difference in the contents. Thank you, Anbu, for the 100-bit uh, donation. I appreciate that. Um, if you're trying to expand and make it into a business that caters to a niche audience, it wouldn't be too outlandish of an idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jump on the bed. <laughs> Jump on the bed. What? What is that supposed to mean? Did you make the six pixels under logo yourself? Our artist did it, actually. Um, Miguel, who's our illustrator, he draws everything by hand. He designed that himself, as well as all the other assets on the channel. Only one that has me beat is Keton Wolf. He's the OG, or he's the OG. It's true. Does he ever even talk anymore? Would you be cool with me making you in City of Heroes? Absolutely. If you can make a, a compelling version, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Shit, I mean, that should be a new challenge. If you can make any character that looks like NS in a video game, I'll, I'll post it on my Twitter and uh, retweet it. <laughs> Is it because the detective usually gets the girl in the end? <laughs> it's funny you say that, Leva, because I used to listen to a lot of uh, tape recording of um, different murder mysteries. And um, I'd watch them with my grandma in the car. Rest in peace, by the way. But it was always weird because she'd be watching or listening to these like cassette tapes. And um, at some point, the detective would solve the mystery and he would like meet the, the heroine and they would have like a sex scene. Except the weird thing is, is because this was also kind of like erotica in some weird kind of way, people liked that there was like a romance. And so they also started making like sex scenes. And this might not seem weird to many of you guys because you read books and they have sex scenes in them. But imagine it over a cassette tape read by some, like, really old guy. They'd be like, and then... Like, and the guy would pretend to be the girl, too. He'd be like, and then I push up against him and make love to him. And then he'd, like, do the guy voice. Uh, 
you you're exactly what i wanted i've been blah, blah, blah. like you know what i mean like he like say some like you're just sitting there like listening to it and you're just like cringing the whole time you're like <laughs> why is this in my like why did you have to throw this haphazardly into the storyline it just seems like it's so like i don't i i feel like it's because women more so specifically like to read those kind of books and so they always throw in like the the erotica if you will who's my favorite fictional detective I'd probably say, to list my favorites, um, I would say Conan or Shinichi Kudo for my OGs in chat who uh, watch anime. That's from Case Closed, uh, the American rendition, or Detective Conan, one of the most popular uh, Japanese animes that most people don't know about. That's one of my favorites. I also love Sherlock, of course, if you can see right behind me. <laughs> That's a classic Sherlock uh, uh, book cover. I actually even think it's an illustration, so it's even better. Yeah, this is an illustration for the um, for the theatric version of the story in particular um, by William Gillette. So I, I couldn't find the one for the TV series, and I couldn't find one for the more recent movie that they put out. So this was like the, the, the coolest one that I could find, basically. Um, other detectives that I like, I would say, hmm... Hmm. <clears throat> it and I feel like I could talk about this for ages. I can't really say Agatha Christie's main characters simply because I'm gonna sound really arrogant, okay? And I don't like sounding arrogant. Agatha Christie's books are great, but it's kinda dated, you know? Like it's kinda easy to figure out the story. Especially, I've been spoiled by Detective Conan, guys. They, they have, like, what, 800, 900 episodes at this point? I've seen so many damn mysteries. I feel like by the point that I got to Ag Agatha Christie, which was after the fact, funny enough, I kind of thought it was too easy. Like, when I read um, Murder on the Orient Express, I don't like to know what the, what the mystery is before the book's over. And I don't like to solve it all before because it means that it keeps me in suspense. But I, 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 I kind of survive, or I kind of uh, solve that one pretty easily. I don't want to spoil anything, but um, someday we'll talk a lot about mystery. How about that? Because I don't talk about it enough because there's like basically no good mystery games, <laughs> like barely any of them. So there's not a whole lot of examples that I can show you guys other than just talking about the old kind of um, movies and shows and whatever else but yeah to sum it up if you want to know my favorite detective detective conan is probably my favorite the best mystery series is death of a game come on people exactly come on isn't ns your favorite mystery character i'm just kidding i was always a fan of the detective within citizen kane because throughout the entire film they never revealed his face it's funny because that was like a similar idea that I had with NS was to like not really show his face like straight on. But then we just decided to like we can speak like NS can, can um, speak, if you will. But it's only like in small little phrases and mostly speaking, <clears throat> excuse me, the skits are going to be silent because that's kind of how old, you know, stories did it as well. Bias man is your favorite. Well, fair enough. Or arch nemesis. So I, I can't really agree with him. All right, I think that's just about all the questions. 
Which means I can end this with a little bit of fun. Now, just so everybody knows, I'm not angry. I'm not mad. I'll live. You don't have to go protect my honor. You don't have to go attack this guy. But there is a particular YouTuber who made the fatal mistake of making a video about me. And if you're wondering why that's a fatal mistake, it's because if you make a video about me, I will respond to it. That's kind of my belief. Anybody who makes a video about me, anybody who wants to say anything about me, I'll give it one little response on stream. Will I make a video about it? Nah, probably not. He doesn't deserve the, the, the bump. But I thought I would uh, point out exactly how I do analysis. And I could show it to you guys live on screen. So we're going to watch a video that a particular YouTuber made about me. Um, in particular, it was about the whole e-begging and um, Patreon stuff. Kind of like somebody who I think just likes to stir up drama.